I'm Jamie, welcome to Driver Picks the Podcast. Where I pick the podcast. And I shut my cake hole. Oh, we haven't had a really big over-the-top shutting the cake hole moment for a Look, while. I'm in a, I'm in a mood today. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a thing. Amazing, I love that, especially for this episode. <laughs> Look, we'll, we'll get there. Speaking of which, today we are discussing the 16th episode of the 5th season of Supernatural, Dark Side of the Moon. Jamie, what did you think? Okay. I just want to say... Uh-huh. I'm so scared because I love this episode. I'm so scared. <laughs> Zacky boy is an icon. He is, isn't he? <laughs> he is just like a little Weasley trash garbage man and I love him. <laughs> he was on my screen and I'm like, I hate you so much, but I love this. Yes. Like, this is... Like, it feels right. Yes. It feels proper. It feels just. Like, I want to hate Zacky boy. Mm-hmm. And but you he just can't. Yeah. <laughs> But he like so funny. He's so fun. He's like fun and funky and like a little bit gay. So <laughs> I, like, I love that for him. You know what I mean? Like yes. No. Here's the thing about Zacky Boy. I think he gets overlooked. Yeah, I really do. And like when I was first watching the show, I remember quite enjoying hmm. Zachariah and being like, this guy, he's a bit of fun. And like you go in like fandom, and I don't know if it's just the circles that I run in, but I don't really see much Zachariah appreciation. Yeah. I can think of, like, a couple of posts that have, like, you know, gift sets of all of his, like, top hits and whatever. Yeah. But, like, I don't think anyone has ever truly appreciated Zachariah to the extent that you have appreciated Zachariah, at least that I've ever witnessed. And I adore it because I fucking love this weird little dude. He is such a piece of shit. But in, like, I mean that in such an affectionate way. Yeah. Like, he is an ass. Mm -hmm. But, like... You know, you could say he's a weaselly little man. You're so correct. He's just the dude. Yeah. He's just a weaselly little guy. He is. And he's so fucking funny. I know. He's hilarious. Although he does call Mary a MILF in this episode, which I hate. <laughs> Not necessarily that he does it. Like, it is in character. Yeah. But I hate that we have a canon use of the word MILF in general. <laughs> like, I just... What's... <laughs> What's hilarious is we've got Jazazel, and now we've got <laughs> Mary Zachariah. Is it just Zachary? Like, is that Because <laughs> either that or Mariah. <laughs> it's clearly Mariah. <laughs> it's all he wants for Christmas. <laughs> Which is, it's, it's just so funny because, of course, Mary's the one who was very insistent on, like, angels and that sort of stuff. We even get it again we this episode. We even get it again this episode. Mm -hmm. And then just to have the, like... Mary Zachariah of it all. It made me so uncomfortable yes. in the best possible way. <laughs> like, yes, this is what I expect from Zacky Boy. Yes. I want to hate that Weasley little shit. <laughs> I want to hate him. And he delivers every he single does. time in the most iconic way. He was employee of the month every month for eternity for a reason. <laughs> Until the Winchesters fucking came along. The fact that he refers to them as flannel-wearing maggots is so funny. He's just out here trying to live his life and the Winchesters are just like, what if we fuck this dude's shit up? Yeah, and I love that he makes the point where he's like, I used to have respect, you know, and he's like, and now they're all laughing at me because I can't get a deal from you two fucking losers. And then he's like, and do you know what? They have a right to make fun of me. It's ridiculous that I have not been able to achieve this. Like, I just, it's so funny. Oh, I have a PSA guess. 
Okay, lovely. Let's segue straight in. Yes. I so, Beth, what do you think my PSA <laughs> of the day is going to be? I'm sorry. I don't often actually come prepared with a yeah. guess. Normally it takes me a minute and we just mm. cut out the silence of me going, hmm, for a sec. But no. My PSA guess, specifically for Zaki Boy, mm-hmm. fear and respect mm-hmm. are not the same thing. Because he makes a whole point about, he's like, I would walk through the corridors and people would avert their eyes, you know, and I had respect. And I was like, no, babe, they were scared of you. Yeah. Like, you don't want to be the kind of management mm-hmm. where people can't look at you directly in the eye and like avoid you Except in corridors. Except you're wrong. Zaki Boy 100% wants to be that sort of management. <laughs> and that's why we love him. <laughs> okay, but generally speaking, in like a human context, you don't want to be that. I mean, maybe you do. Ideally, I would assume you don't want to be that kind of manager. You want Stop people- shitting on my goals, Beth. I- Sorry, I didn't realise you were Zaki Boy coded. <laughs> I mean, is there anything else more obvious? <laughs> well, I was going to say Meg coding, but alright. I mean, to be fair though, they have the same attitude. Yeah, actually, I'm not shocked that you love Zachariah so much because he is just like the angel version of Meg. <laughs> it's great. I fucking love it. And you are 100% wrong about my PSA of the day. <laughs> okay. My PSA of the day is don't light fireworks while you're holding them. Oh, look. <laughs> That's valid. Proper firework safety is important. I've never lit a firework. I've only watched them respectfully from a distance. I have no idea if maybe that's like just a type of firework where you can just kind of, I assume you can just fucking hold it. Otherwise, Mm. why the hell they would show it? I don't know. But yes, that fire safety, because they also have the scene where, and I want to stay on Zach for a minute, but I'm just going to very briefly mention this because it's beautiful. But in that scene, they have, young Sam, like, dancing in the sparks, and it is beautiful, like, I love... Cinematic. The cinematography is just stunning, and, like, the fact, like, the slow-mo, which I think is actually used very effectively here for once, and also we have the sparks falling down, and just the joy on his little face, and, like, the hands in the air, and the music, which is Knocking on Heaven's Door by Guns N' Roses, and it's just fucking beautiful. I don't remember where I was going with this, but I just... Something about fire safety. Oh, yeah, right. He's in the shower of spots. Yes. It's a miracle that he didn't get set on fire. (laughs) Anyway. I love how you forgot. You were like, I'm so into this. I was so distracted by the artistry. (laughs) I'm sure you know from just seeing the scene, but that gets gift Mm. a lot. It's Mm. one of, I think, not just this episode's best moments of cinematography, but like this season's. Mm. It's just so lovely. And we will come back to it, I'm sure. Such a pretty shot. But we were talking about Zachy. We were. We were really and appreciating Zachy. I Zachariah. am just like I'm mad because this episode disproves a theory we had earlier. Zachy boy is not the curtains. He's the light. <laughs> like I'm sorry. What this show has no respect for our head cannon. Are you right? <laughs> I fully forgot about that. Here's the thing. He very specifically has to be the overhead lighting because mm-hmm. Cass is the lamp. True. So he can't just be any light. So all light. angels are just different versions of lighting. <laughs> That's what I'm getting from this. Like everyone is just a different version of lighting. Like all of the all of the angels have their own versions of lighting. So Zachariah is like the search light. It gives me helicopter vibes. Yeah, it's like someone's lost at sea like Harold Holt. Like we're flying out (laughs) over the bay with like the massive spotlight trying to spot them in the waves. Like that is Zachy Boy. That is his life. Yeah, he's also failing to find the people he's looking for. (laughs) Exactly. And then you've got Cass, who is a lamp, obviously. He would also 
unironically name a swimming pool after someone he lost at sea. <laughs> Sorry, Cass is a lamp. Cass is a lamp. What does that make Michael? Like, what? What's... Lightning. Okay. Because of yep. that one scene from uh, Wishful Thinking where Sam gets struck by lightning. <laughs> Specifically. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. What type of lighting does that make game? Like, See, because I'm thinking it's an overhead light with a faulty globe that oh, just keeps on flicking on and off. You mean like my drag- lounge room for six months until I finally replace the bulb? Yeah. Okay. That was gay. Okay. Because it drives you kind of mad. I was going to say like Christmas lights. Okay. Because they're very fun. Mm-hmm. And they can, yeah. you can like get colors. No, and- no, no. It's the Christmas lights that also sing to you. Because they're... The- what? <laughs> Have you never seen the Christmas what lights? What kind of Stranger Things bullshit is this? Why are your lights communicating with you? So, <laughs> my Christmas lights on my Christmas tree that we have at my mum's place, right? They're like old from the 90s and they've got like the little... Oh, so this isn't modern tech. No, this no, no, is... no. They've got like the little battery packy thing that like you plug it into yeah. the wall and you can like switch them on and off. Yeah, like, and change the like flashing settings and stuff. You can have it so that they also sing to you. I assume Christmas carols. Yeah. That is so unhinged. Jingle bells. Why would you want that? I didn't buy them. I was a baby in the nineties. Who marketed? Because they're like the, you know, like the da, 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 like that yeah. sort of sounding. Okay, that's how they sing to you. That is such. A, I hate that. <laughs> that is. So Are you scary. making fun of my fun childhood memories? Because that is so decoded of you. <laughs> Here's the thing. Like my nan has like a Santa where you press a button and it does like a little jink and it does the we jingle bell rock. We also have one of them but it's a reindeer. That's fun. It's like a reindeer in a stocking. Oh my god that's so cute actually. Okay but no my nan's is like a little dancing Santa and he dances yeah. a jingle bell rock and it's like it's like fucking 40 years old and you know it's it's a very core cool memory for me. Mm-hmm. But trying oh, yes. to imagine Christmas lights like I just. Like they've just got like a little box on the cord that like emits the sound. That's wild. I was imagining, like, little speakers along the cord. No, no, no. I was like, what kind of fucking witchcraft? <laughs> no, 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 no. Just, like, a single little box where, like, the switch is and it's got a little yeah. speaker into it. Okay. And obviously the sound quality is not great. All right, well, 100% Gabe is specifically your mum's Christmas tree lights. <laughs> because that is fucking insane. So he's specifically that. What's Lucifer? What's an evil light? <laughs> Naomi's boob lamp. <laughs> Lucifer's the naked lady lamp. <laughs> no, it's too. Pr- no, we can't. Because have that. he's so alluring, but it's a trap. Ooh. Okay. See, the problem is, I'm. I like the analogy, but I also don't think that Naomi's lady lamp. Lady lamp. That's a weird thing to call it. I don't think that Naomi's titty lamp is a trap. <laughs> <laughs> lady lamp is too. Is too weird, but titty lamp is fine. <laughs> titty is gender neutral. <laughs> anyway. I think we need to get away from the lamp discord because <laughs> this is already going to be a long episode and we cannot get off track this quickly. Zaki boy. Okay. Were there any other things you specifically wanted to touch on? I have at least one more thing that I want to mention. I love the way he's like, you can't run from me. Mm-hmm. Like, you fucking idiots. I know. I love that he's like, wow, running from angels on foot in heaven. With out of the box thinking like that, I can't believe you haven't stopped the apocalypse already. And I'm like, I love him so much. He's such a bitch. And then like they immediately try running from him. Like he literally is like, guys, you can run, but you can't run. And then they immediately turn around and run again. And it does work to their credit, but it's also Only so funny. Only because Ash is there. 
Something they could have never predicted in a million yeah. years. Like, they are lucky. That Ash is so good. Oh, yeah. And I know we're probably going to segue into talking yeah. about Ash and Pamela and, like, that whole situation. So I very quickly want to mention my favourite line from Zach this episode. And kudos to the actor because I think the delivery is just stellar. It's so good. It's right before Joshua appears to be like, excuse me, like, not to interrupt. Oh, the fact that he says, um, I'm in a meeting, so fucking funny. <laughs> the fact that he's like, I cleared my schedule for this. Obsessed with corporate heaven. Very fun. But when he looks at them and he's like, I am the last person you want on your bad side because Lucifer may be strong, but But I'm I'm petty. I was like, yes, bitch, go off. (laughs) We love to see it. Look, I am a Zaki stan first. Zachariah is your blubber? Yeah, I'm a Zaki stan first, a supernatural hater (laughs) second. Like, I can admit that a lot of supernatural shit (laughs) <laughs> but they did go off. With Zaki boy. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> like, I don't know what universe you have to live in to not appreciate Zachary. Yeah. Is he a stinky trash garbage man? Yes. yes. Do we That's love it? That's why we love it. <laughs> because he's a stinky trash garbage man. He is the angel equivalent of a raccoon that yeah. is rummaging around in your bins. Yeah. Like, or I guess in the Australian version would be a possum. Yeah. And I love those little, those little mm. dudes. They're so fun. They freak out my dog. They hang out on my fence. But, like... But we love them. Yeah, obviously. I love that this has become the Zachariah Defense Squad episode. Yeah. Look, I once said... This is not what I thought we'd focus on at all. It's not my fault you're not living in the 21st century (laughs) where Zachy Boy is an icon. (laughs) It's not my fault. Jamie's like, I am the future of the supernatural phantom. (laughs) Men stands first. Zachariah stands second, and that's the main characters of Supernatural. <laughs> Sorry, Cass stands third. They're the main characters of Supernatural. I don't give a shit about those Winchester dudes. Okay, but a show focusing on those three is the main trio. Unhinged energy off the charts. The queer energy. <laughs> Iconic. That's the reboot I want to see. I don't give a shit about John and Mary. I want those three. At Jensen Ackles, make it happen. They are living in the 21st century. And they're all infinitely old. So you could set it whenever the fuck you want. They're all living. Oh, fuck. Okay. No, no, no. It's, it's beautiful. It's brilliant. I'm having a wonderful time. <laughs> I think we have to, as much as I love him, and as much as I'm loving this energy, I think we do have to move on from Zaki Boy. I'm okay. sure we can come back. We actually have to talk about his significance in this episode <laughs> at some point, and not just how much we love him. So we'll come back to him at a later moment. Do we want to touch on Ash and Pamela yeah. while we're at it? I love that they brought Ash back. Yes. Like, so much. I'm kind of not going to like, I hate that they brought Pamela back. Interesting. Like, Speaking I, of that. I don't know. It just, like, the vibes weren't right there. Mm-hmm. It felt like she was going to betray them almost. Like, as a character, it felt very sus. Mm. Like, I don't know if that's just, ne- like, maybe the climbing or something like that. But like, she just felt very sus to me. Yeah. And I don't know, like, just the whole, like, oh, justifying, like, so many people dying to go to heaven because, you know, heaven's not too bad. <laughs> yeah. Sus like, vibes. low bar. Like, sus vibes. And I just, I didn't necessarily love it. I don't know if it necessarily added to the episode in the way that I'd want mm-hmm. than to add to the episode. Like, it seemed like a bit of a random choice for them to bring back Pamela. I agree with you in some in some instances. Mm. I like that they brought back Pamela. I think that it was good for them to be able to talk about the fact that, like, you know, you got me 
killed. And, yeah. you know, I think that that Especially was good. Especially when it was such a preventable fucking death. Yes. Lay out some demon traps. Lay out some salt. She's fucking blind with two unconscious bodies. Putting so... any preventative measures in place was better than nothing. <laughs> yeah, literally. It's like basically, and she literally slaps him upside the head. Like, it's like, yeah. you did something stupid and I got dead for it. Yeah. I, however, do love moment where Dean says, if it makes you feel any better, we also got Ash killed. And Ash is like, I'm cool with it. He's like, he's cool with it. I can't So fucking funny. I think that the difference is, though, they didn't get Ash killed. Like, Ash was way less direct. Yes. Ash was like, Ash got killed because Azazel was, like... Trying to stop. Like, Ash yeah. got killed because he had information. Pamela got killed because she was there. Yeah. It's a very different... Different sort of thing. What I didn't like about Pamela is basically the same thing you just said. Yeah. She feels kind of sus. Like, she is talk- trying to talk Dean into saying yes to Michael, which mm. feels very sus. If for no other reason than we know that that's a bad idea because that's what the last season and a half has been about. So it just feels very sus. Like, and even though she is making a relatively compelling argument, like she's saying like, yes, okay, people will die, but then they will come here. And here is not bad. And Dean makes the point of like, yeah, but it's not good. It's fake. Like, this mm. isn't real. What is real is Earth. But like... I think for me, the part that irritates me about the fact they brought Pam back is that, yes, she has this conversation with Dean, which isn't not important, but also he could have had with a a number of people who have have died. What was stopping them from bringing in Ellen or Joe? Who absolutely, it is wild to me that Ash doesn't know that they're dead. Considering he knows that literally everyone is dead. Like, you know how we we make the joke about like Angel Radio? Like, he literally has... The angel radio. Yeah, I love that he's like, it's Enochian, I'm fluent. Like, of course he is. Like, naturally. I love also the line, I now have a practical application for string theory. (laughs) I love that he's like, it's nice to finally have an application for string theory. Like, he's been holding out for this. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You have no idea how long he's waited to actually be able to use his string theory in a relevant way. Yeah, exactly. He's excited by this prospect. It's a real nice reminder that Ash got, like, kicked out of MIT. Like, he's actually very, very, like, with it, you know. Mm. But the thing that irritates me about Pamela, and this is a nice little segue into the fact that this is actually a Darwin Laughlin episode, which... Wild. Fucking wild. Because we have been pretty harsh on Darb specifically, and particularly about the characterization of Dean. This episode, I personally love it. I think that a lot of the characterization is fucking spot on. I think that it is one of the best episodes of Kripke era. And I that is a... High praise for a Darb episode. High fucking praise for a Darb episode. This is why, like, looking at the list of Darb episodes, it's a fucking metronome. It's like, yeah. what the... F- this man wrote After School Special. And also Dark Side of the Moon and also Carry On. Like, what a fucking wild swing what choice episodes? Yeah, like, it's nuts. So the part where I'm like, oh, okay, I see. We referenced, I think, you know, actually, I think you referenced a few episodes ago, like, quote, unquote, the Darb effect, which was in relation to uh, Sam Interrupted and Dean making out with the uh, girl in that episode. Him and Pamela just fucking just... They just kiss just for no reason. For no reason. Like, yes, Pamela's a flirt. She's been flirting with them since Lazarus Rising. I get that. But, like... There is no reason for it to change from flirting to actually kissing now. Yeah, and it's also so... Like, it's a very lingering shot. And I'm like, what purpose is this serving? What is the point? Like, she hugs Sam totally normal. Yeah. And, like, Dean goes to hug her. Like, he is not instigating this. No. But she fully 
like attacks him for this kiss. And I'm like, what is what? Come it's, on, babes, what the fuck are we doing? Here? It's one of my very minor complaints in this episode. Is that is that scene? Yeah, and I just. I don't understand what the point of it was, and it just seems to further that whole, like, Dean's like a ladies' man, like, thing, which is so just played out and over, and, like, what the it's fuck so are we It's so season doing one. Yeah. You know? Anyway, sorry. There's <laughs> your rant on that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I just, I love Pam. You know, mm-hmm. you know I love Pam. Mm-hmm. But it just felt very odd. Yes, it feels off. It feels off. Like, there's something not right here. It kind of feels like she, like, obviously in the end of the half of the episode, like, Mary is being manipulated mm-hmm. by Zach to, like, say a bunch of shit. It kind of feels like it's a softer version of that. Yeah. Here's the thing. I, now knowing this is a dub episode, I have even less faith that they're ever going to actually address this. Okay. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like maybe before there was, like, the thing of, oh, maybe actually, no, this is, like, an intentional thing and she's getting manipulated by heaven and society. Mm. And they're going to address that later on. Knowing it's dark, <laughs> I have Kills less faith. faith. <laughs> I think that it is open to interpretation. Mm. Because I think you could read it either way. You could read it as if she is just genuinely making this argument for him to be like, look, what is the worst outcome here? A bunch of people die, yeah, and then they come to heaven and heaven is fine. Yeah. But it's not the end of the world. I mean, it is, the <laughs> it is world, but... literally the end of the world, like in the biblical sense. But However. <laughs> that's not what we're focusing on here. But yeah, and like Dean makes the argument when he's having this conversation with Pamela. He says, you know, oh, actually, what we should talk about is the new law we get Ooh. about the structure of heaven. Yeah, I love your pivot in the middle of the other point that you were making. <laughs> well, Do look- you perhaps want to finish your first point before you try a second? Sure. My, f- <laughs> My first point was Dean says to Pamela, you know, spending eternity trapped in your own little universe while the angels run the show, that's lonely, that's not Nirvana, that's the Matrix. And he makes a very good point. Essentially, they've set up heaven to be, to like function, kind of like the Matrix, except even more individual than the Matrix, because you don't have other people to bounce off of like you do in the Matrix. It's literally just you in a room, unless you're interacting with people who are only memories, so can only work off of like essentially a pre-recorded message. It'd be like spending eternity with one of those dolls that has like five phrases. What's hilarious though is the fact that if they were shared universes, like shared microcosms within this larger universe, yeah, it would just be the plot of the good place. Yes! <laughs> Which would be iconic, honestly. But here's my thing about this, right? We get a couple of instances of Sam doing things this episode that we've had ongoing jokes about. Mm. This is one of them, which is Sam just not quite clicking the very obvious puzzle pieces together. Yeah. Like, I think that Sam is an intelligent character. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But he's also super fucking dumb. Yeah, he's like, you know that you know that meme that went around a while ago where it was like, you know how you know people who are like academically smart, but mm. practically they're kind of stupid? It's like intelligence <laughs> versus wisdom. Like he's a hundred yes. points on intelligence, but like ten points on wisdom. Yeah, literally. He's like the exact opposite of the Jason Mendoza. Yeah. Like, he's got that intellect, but he just doesn't apply it. (laughs) So, in this episode, Ash is, like, explaining. He's like, you know, this is my heaven. And before, we, you know, you were in Sam's heaven. And Sam goes, so there are two heavens? And I'm like, yeah, Sam. You specifically get your own special little heaven, and then everyone else who has ever lived shares the other one. What do you mean? (laughs) Like, bro... (laughs) Which, considering he didn't even think he was going to go to heaven, right. considering everything. I'm like, Sam, what the fuck are you saying? Sam, sweetie baby boy. 
waves that are like, what do you mean? He's just really on some, he's on some bullshit. The demon blood really fucked up his ability to connect dots. Like, you've literally got Dean in, like, season Which one. Which is really funny. Doing that, like, impossible connect the dots. In shadow. <laughs> yes. As we literally have some bad to say. Like, and then you've got Sam looking at two dots on a single page going, hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so we get this new lore that, like, heaven is sort of, like, instead of, like, one big place with, like, everyone in it, it's basically, like, if you think of it like a bunch of grapes. So, like, every single individual grape is a different person. And their like own little sphere that is heaven, and it's comprised of their memories. Their, their memories. happiest memories, and <laughs> I, I feel like this is the segue. So yeah, well, very quickly before we do, one other thing that we do get, which is a point on like the law of heaven, is that some people, like soulmates, share heavens or can share heavens. Mm-hmm. This is something that will actually come back up down the track. Like, we get characters who specifically have a shared heaven. But no, so we get a little bit more about the structure of heaven. Yeah, so we we get soulmates yeah. and, like, we get that we actually find out that soulmates are a thing, which mm. makes sense because, obviously, a couple episodes back we had the whole Cupid situation. Yeah. So we would assume... We also get canonical confirmation that Mary and John, not soulmates. <laughs> We also get, well, actually, we'll talk on that in a minute. But we also get that Ash has been looking for John and Mary. And I do find it entertaining that he hasn't been able to find them. Because to me, that kind of implies that they're not there. Well, John wouldn't be there. Like, this is my thing. Clearly, John wouldn't be there because he made a demon deal. He's in hell. Right, because there was that weird symbolism at, like, the end of season two when they actually kill Azazel and he, like, mists into yeah. non-existence or whatever. And we were like, what does that mean? But, like, you're telling me that Ash found Einstein and the author of the Kama Sutra but can't find John Winchester? To be fair, notoriously good at fucking off to where you can't find him. But, like... What gets me is Mary. Because in my brain, Mary should have been in heaven. Yeah. And, like, she, we see her multiple times in, like, Dean's heaven. Yeah. And we see her being manipulated by Zachariah, but it's like, we don't know if that's just Dean's memory or if it's actually Mary. But theoretically, she should absolutely be in heaven. So it's yeah. whack that Ash hasn't I, been able to find her. I don't know the criteria for heaven. Mm. But, like, it's not weird to me that John's not in heaven because John died because of a demon deal that he made with the Zazel. Mm-hmm. So, so he's he in hell. He fully sold his soul. He fully like, sold his soul. He's in hell. That's fine. And he like, deserves that. You can argue that he escaped because of the season mm. two finale and stuff, but like it would make sense at least for Ash to not be able to find him. Yeah. Ooh, it'd be fun if we have like ghost John. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like, because here's the thing: he escaped hell. Yeah. Right. So he maybe he's no longer in hell. But yeah. I'm assuming that escaping from hell is not enough to just send you to heaven. Yeah. Like, I feel like there are different things. I have a feeling he's like. Chilling somewhere on earth. He's just like floating. He's just floating. He's Maybe he's in like purgatory or something. Like I know like purgatory is a thing in Supernatural. And I don't know what it actually is in Supernatural. But normally it's like the place in between. It's mm. not heaven, not hell. But it's like an afterlife for dead people who are fine. Yeah. I guess. Fine, I guess, is, is very generous for John. <laughs> like he's escaped hell. Great. Doesn't yeah. say to me he'd be in heaven. No. So, like, it's not surprising for me that John Winchester's not in heaven. Or that at least he can't be found. Because mm. that's the thing. When we don't get confirmation that they're not there. We just get confirmation that Ash can't find them, and that seems sus. Yeah. What seemed more sus to me is the fact they can't find Mary. Because Mary, to me, is, like, a pretty straightforward case. Like, yes, yes she made the deal with the Zazel. 
But it wasn't for her soul. Which, what the fuck it was for, I don't know. <laughs> That's still it's, up for debate. It's like, I understand they were trying to do something there. You know, have every single person in the family make a demon deal except for Sam. Mm-hmm. Which is so funny, really. <laughs> Which is so fucking funny. But like, you know, like, I understand what they were trying to do. Like, I get that. But I also don't understand the purpose of the demon deal. Like, it doesn't seem necessary mm. for the demon deal to be made. He still could have broken in and dropped demon blood into Sam's mouth. Maybe the deal is for, like, GPS location. <laughs> Maybe the deal is just, like, it's like, I will be able to know where you are. It's like, find my friends. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's basically being, like, an app asking permission for you to, like, give it access to your location for an indeterminate amount of time. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, we need to get off of this. This is such old discussion. <laughs> so, yes, we get a lot of heaven lore. It was also weird to me that Ash was even looking for John and Mary. Like, that seems like, I don't know why he would be doing that. Mm. Like, I guess just maybe out of interest, just him generally being like, oh, well, I met their kids and I know their parents are dead. Yeah. So, like, maybe Well, I mean, be he nice. did meet John. So, no, that's very surprising that he's looking for John. Did he meet John? Well, John was a regular at the Roadhouse, so I'm assuming... Well, no, because I don't know if he'd seen Ellen and Joe, or I don't know if he'd seen Ellen, at least, for a long time, like, since Bill died. I don't think we get a timeline on how recently John's been at the Roadhouse. I just assumed that Ash has always been at the Roadhouse. I get the sense that he's been there for like a decade. Like he dropped out of MIT. And he just got a part-time job and never yeah. left. Yeah. Yeah. That's also the vibe I get. But like, I I'm just getting don't squatters know. rights vibes from Ash. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the John crossover. It's unimportant. It's unimportant, <laughs> but it's actually it makes it more sus that he's looking for John. Because nobody that I've ever that we've ever met in this show who's met John wants to see John ever again. Yeah, not even Bobby. <laughs> no, not even Bobby. Like everyone meets John once and is like, oh, yeah, that's enough that for a lifetime. <laughs> I've had enough of him. I'm here for the kids and that's it. Yeah. I get the sense that the only people who like John Winchester are the ones that he actively saved. Mm. Like if he didn't save your life, you don't like him. And you only like him if he saves your life because he saved your life. And even in Dean's instance where John did actively save his life, like, he doesn't really like it. No, it makes it worse, actually. (laughs) Yeah, that's actually what tipped him over the edge. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) we were trying to segue into the memory portion Mm. of the heaven sequence. Yeah. Where would you like to begin? Let's just go through dream by dream. Okay. And, like... Just in order? Just in order. It seems easiest. Mm Mm-hmm. So the first one that we get is obviously Dean's first version of Heaven. Yes. Which is the 4th of July, where him and Sam snuck out to go and light off fireworks. Yes. Incredibly unsafe. (laughs) But, like, also I understand why it's a good memory. Mm Because it's, like, it's probably the first time they felt kind of like normal kids. They're sneaking out of the house for something. Like, they're not trying to hunt a monster. They're, like, there's no pressure. It's fun. They're just being kids mm-hmm. they're just messing around with fire notoriously unsafe practices <laughs> but like they're also so young that they don't really know any better like they're not well like dean was born in 79 mm. so 1996 that makes him what 17 mm. this is after the whole thing where like john sent him out on his first hunt to kill the to, like, ghost nuns. of the lesbian nuns yeah And so the idea of him rebelling a bit against John and, like, taking Sam out to celebrate 4th of July, like, sits nicely with me. Like, I think that it makes a lot of sense, particularly in that time frame. Mm. Also, just, I've been telling you 
since season one. And, you know, through the seasons, like, you've come to understand what I mean. And, like, we now agree on this point where, like, Sam is so much just Dean's actual child. Yeah. This episode, for me, is the pinnacle of that. Like, this is the that's my child episode for mm-hmm. Dean Winchester. Like, yeah. that moment where Sam hugs him and he does that whole, like, thanks, this is so awesome. Like, Dad would never let us do this. And that hug, kudos to the director of this episode, a gentleman by the name of Jeff Woolno. I'm pretty sure that might be how you pronounce it. I'm not 100% sure. But I'm surprised I don't recognise his name. He, I don't think, like, I don't know him from any other episodes. No. He's not a recognisable name to me. So this might be one of his only ones, maybe. But... The fact that they chose to do sort of a further back shot to show that hug between Sam and Dean, I think was just such an excellent choice because not only do you see the fullness of the hug, but you also get to see Dean's reaction to it and the way that he like puts his arms back around Sam and like you see how enveloped he is in John's jacket, which makes a reappearance in this episode, which is just an excellent choice by the costuming department. But also... It shows them as this unit within the void of the the darkness around them. And I think that it is such a wonderful shot. That scene makes me emotional every time. Yeah. Did you have any other thoughts on that particular sequence before we move on to the next one? I read less into everything than you do. That's valid. Probably obvious for obvious reasons. (laughs) Namely, I'm not a supernatural stan. But also I've seen this episode a lot more times. I've watched this Mm. episode. This is the third time I've watched it in like the last month. You know what? I was just mainly distracted by the fact that Cass is the car. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Oh, one other thing before we move off of this sequence. The very end of it, like the way that Dean is pulled out of that memory, Mm. is that they overlay the sound of the gunshots from when they died Mm -hmm. with the sound of the fireworks. And it like, you get the flashes of like him remembering the last moments before he died. And I do think that that's a wonderful one use of the sound effect. I think it's very clever to like link those two sounds, but also... I think it's a very fun way to end the scene in a way that it doesn't take away from the scene that they just presented, but it does very abruptly remind the audience of like, oh, remember why we're here? Like, he just died. Remember that? Guess what? They're dead. Yeah. And it's a very effective way of pulling Dean out of that scene and you can throw him into the next one where he's talking to Cass, who is the car, (laughs) without disrupting the... Mm lovely sort of bubble that he had been in yeah it's it's a wild time Mm. like they're just they're really doing the most this episode they're doing so much fucking crazy oh before we move on to the next dream sequence i want to just mention Cass is the car having the iconic moment of when dean goes like i'm dead and he's like condolences (laughs) iconic though i did realize i had one more point that i really wanted to make about the fireworks yes please do which is Dean pulls out the lighter and he goes, I haven't seen this thing in years. Uh-huh. And I'm sorry, babes, but that's because you keep on throwing, throwing them, them into graves. graves. <laughs> like, you actively throw away your lighter. They're, they're making choices. I know. And then we segue. He's in the car. Cass is like, follow the road. You're going to follow Joshua. Mm-hmm. I also love the way that he he's like genuinely like, no, no, no. How did I get into heaven? And Cass is like, unimportant. <laughs> focus. Fucking focus. Next question. <laughs> I do actually quite like the way that they introduce the concept of the road. I think it's so fucking funny that Cass is like, everyone sees the road differently. Some yeah. people see this, some people see that. Simply, And Dean's like, no, it's literally a fucking road. He's like, I don't know how to explain this to you. I'm so basic. <laughs> there is no metaphor here. There is no metaphor. It's a road. Although I do love it mm. because it makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Like, obviously, 
or Dean, the road would be a literal road. Considering he's homeless and lives on the road. Yes, and like his safe space is his car. Mm-hmm. Because he didn't have a sta- stable family. Yes. Because fuck John Winchester. Because fuck John Winchester. And we're about to get to that. <laughs> it's only one dream sequence away. <laughs> so the next thing we get to, so obviously he has this conversation with Cass. Mm. Cass is like, follow the road. You'll find Sam. Just follow the road. And so Dean does what Cass says, follows the and road. And he hops, skips and jumps over into Sam's heaven. Yeah. Because yeah. they have separate heavens. Because of how heaven works. Because of how heaven works yes. and all the microcosms, he has to find his way from his heaven into another one. Yes, exactly. And obviously, like, the way that they sort of explain the metaphor of the road a little later in the episode when Cass is on the TV is that, like, you have to have, like, I suppose, a destination in mind and then you just follow the road and you get eventually to that destination. Yeah. So that's how they find the garden. It's a little bit of a less effective method of travel than what Ash uses. Yeah. But it's, like... It'll but get you there if you can manage to do it. Not everyone can be fluent in Enochian magic, you know? Like, not everyone can just understand angels or, you know, employ string theory. So yeah. some people, plebs, have to use a road. <laughs> oh, one thing about this that has always, like, low-key confused me just a smidge is when Dean does start driving to find Sam and there's, like, a shot of the Impala going down the road and then they show the night sky, but it's, like, obviously not, like the normal earth night sky there's like a bajillion stars and it's like weirdly spinning i don't know if it's supposed to be a planet or the moon or what and it's huge and it low-key looks like the death star and i don't really know what they were that's because dean's heaven is in fact the star wars universe i love that (laughs) headcanon obsessed with it actually dean's heaven just casually takes place in star wars (laughs) absolutely I love Though it. if he ever did meet Han Solo, he would have Combust. a bisexual panic moment. Absolutely. No discussion required. He's a space cowboy. What else? And he looks like Harrison Ford. Yeah. There's no question there. No comment. No comment. Anyway, so... What the fuck is this? I don't know, man. <laughs> this is what happens when Darb writes something good. It just, like, breaks your brain a bit. So, Dean gets to Sam's heaven, and he finds Sam in the first sequence. What thoughts do you have about the sequence, Sam's first dream sequence or heaven sequence? So, obviously, it's the Thanksgiving dinner yes. where Dean is nowhere. Decidedly not there. Yes. yes. Very pointedly mm. not there. Mm-hmm. Like, John's not there and that makes sense. Mm. But specifically, Dean is also not there. Not there. Mm-hmm. Like, because I'm assuming this is going by, like, tier systems. Like, the deeper you get into your heaven, the more niche you're... The yeah. memories are. So, like, this is, like, his first pick. Yeah. This is, like, top of mind. Mm-hmm. This is, like, his favourite night. Also, notably, not the night he met Jess. Yeah. Not any of his time at Stanford. And because we also know that it's not, like, chronological. It's not like you go through your memories from, like, youngest to oldest. Because yeah. Dean's first memory is, like, 17. And then Dean's second memory, he's, like, like, four. Yeah, three or four. Like, yeah. it's sometime in the six months between Sam, Sam being, being born, born and Mary dying. dying. So we're very clearly not going chronological. So this isn't just like his earliest happy memory. Mm-hmm. This is like one of his top. It's like if you said, yeah. hey, Sam, what's the happiest night of your life? This would be the one that pops to mind pretty immediately. Which is interesting that it's nothing to do with Jess. Mm-hmm. It's nothing to do with Dean. Dean. It's notably not the same fireworks night memory that Dean's got. Yeah. If you Okay, so I'm going to just skip ahead a little bit. Please go. Because go all of Sam's memories, here's the thing, his, his happiest memories are not just because they're happy memories. His happy memories are happy memories 
because they denote the absence of Dean and John. And like we as the audience understand that their happiest memories because they're of the absence of John yeah. specifically. Yeah. Not because of the absence of Dean and John. But Dean's abandonment yeah. doesn't tell him that. Well, it's also like if you look at this objectively, Sam vocalizes in the episode, like when Dean's like, this is a happy memory for you. We get Sam, I think at least twice, if not three or more times, saying to Dean like, yeah, like I was by myself. Or yeah, I was getting away from dad. Or You weren't here. But this is the thing, like, he's basically saying, yeah, this is a good time for me. I had autonomy. Which for Sam is that crux thing where it's like, he has been so controlled and manipulated his entire life. Of course, his happiest memories are the times when he felt like he was in control. Mm. And like, he had taken charge of a situation. Like, he was actively making choices in his own life and well-being. Of course, they're his happiest memories. Unfortunately, <laughs> those moments happen to perfectly correlate with some of Dean's worst memories. Because every time that Sam had that autonomy, it meant that he was leaving John, which by default meant he was also leaving Dean. And yeah, Dean has, like, that's his worst nightmare. And like, to the point where Zachariah weaponizes it against him later with having Mary say all the things about like, don't you notice everyone just leaves you, Dean? Like, this will remain such a sticking point for him through the rest of the series. It is so ingrained. Like, it's nuts. What is that face you're making at me right now? <laughs> you're grinning so much I... and it fills me with fear. <laughs> I don't know if I'm prepared for whatever the fuck no, you're I about just, to say. I just realised that the listeners at home cannot appreciate the way you're talking with your hands. <laughs> like, I am not kidding. She is like... Gesticulating all over the place. <laughs> she is connecting strings with her hands. Like, she is like, she is like going like here to here. She's like pointing. She's like picking stuff up. She's putting it down. She is fully talking with her hands. And the look on her face <laughs> is like insane. <laughs> it's like... You know when, like, a conspiracy theorist gets, like, too into their conspiracy theory? That's the look. She, yeah. <laughs> Y'all at home can't appreciate... <laughs> the visuals. The visual element of this because it's audio-only podcast. Oh, fuck. But uh, she is... That whole section just there that she said was wild when you got to see the look <laughs> on her face and the way her hands were moving. I can feel the mania in my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote a fic for August's birthday and I wrote something about the, the steely determination in Sam's eyes. <laughs> and KJ made a comment as she was baitering for me and they said, you can say it, Jamie, he has crazy eyes. And that's what I'm thinking is relevant. Thank you. <laughs> she said, you and me both know that he has crazy eyes. Mm. And they were so right and valid for that. <laughs> they, re they really were. But that, it's also applicable here. I'm just very passionate about this episode specifically, okay? I have been dying to get to this episode. And I'm going to be real, lifting the podcast curtain, when I approach our friends about like, hey, what episode might you like to guest on? A fair few of them requested this episode and I turned them all down. Because I was like, one, this episode is already going to be so very long. And two, I'm going to be insufferable. <laughs> Which is a, like a refreshing change of pace from me being the insufferable one. <laughs> Like, I'm so used to being the problem child of the podcast. Oh, no. I am so passionate about this episode. Like I said, it is, for me, highlight of Kripke era. Like, it's definitely up there top five episodes for me. It emotionally devastates me every single fucking time. And I love it. 
Anyway, we got so off topic. We were talking about Sam and his first real quote-unquote Thanksgiving. And Dean's like, we had Thanksgiving every year. And Sam says the thing that activates the abandonment part of Dean's brain, which is, we had dad passed out and a bucket of extra crispy on. Well, like, yeah, Sam, but that's your, for Dean, that's Thanksgiving. Yeah, and you can almost hear the, yeah, that's the thing I'm sensitive about. <laughs> I have a note like that. Okay, here's the thing. I want to, like, throw us back to the season three episode, A Very Supernatural Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So I want to throw us back there because we get a similar discussion in that episode. And I think it really, like, touches on what sort of becomes the crux of the argument Sam and Dean are having in this episode, which is that they have a fundamentally different idea of, like, what it is to, like, be family, but also what holidays look like. Sam in this episode being like, we never had a real Thanksgiving, right? And Dean is being like, yeah, we did. We had our family's version of Thanksgiving. And like, to be fair, we don't have Thanksgiving in Australia. Just generally, it's an American holiday, blah, blah, blah. But I assume that similarly to like other holidays, like for example, Christmas or, you know, even New Year's or birthdays, like those kinds of like celebrations, each family had their own like traditions and their own way they do things. And like, yes, obviously the Winchester one is a bit fucking dodge. But for Dean, he was like, well, that's just, that's the way that our family celebrates Thanksgiving. And to him, it was Thanksgiving. But for Sam, Sam's like, no, no, well, it's not Thanksgiving because we didn't have a roast turkey and we didn't have a formal sit down dinner and we didn't have fucking hats or whatever. And this is Sam saying directly to Dean, what you tried to do for me to make these holiday specials was not Not good good enough. enough. Yeah. And the reason that I wanted to mention a very supernatural Christmas is because we get a very similar discussion in that episode where Sam is like, well, we didn't really have Christmas. And he's like, what are you talking about? Like we had the wreath made of beer cans or whatever. And, or I can't remember who said what now, but the point is that they have this discussion where it's like, we had Christmas. And Sam's like, no, we fucking didn't. And it's like, you did. You just didn't have the hallmark version of Christmas. Like Dean made the effort to go steal toys for you, to give you Christmas. Like he made that effort and it's not Dean's fault yeah. that you can't appreciate the work he's putting in for you. And like, here's this is why this episode breaks my heart so much. Because it is such, and I've said this to you a bunch of times as well, coming up knowing this episode was on its way. Like, they have such fundamentally different memories of their childhood. Mm-hmm. They see it from such entirely different perspectives. And it so highlights the parent-child dynamic that they have. And I want to put it here as well, like, I, in this episode, like, I feel so strongly for Dean. The pain that he is in is visceral for me. But I want to address a quote that we haven't gotten to yet, but it's not a spoiler. And out of context, it's fine to let you know. And I think that it does really underpin a lot of this episode. Because obviously Dean is feeling very fucking hurt Mm -hmm. looking at Sam's, like, most treasured memories. And to be fair, if I was in his shoes, I absolutely would feel hurt as well. We get a quote from Bobby, I think in season seven, and he says, kids are not supposed to be grateful. They are supposed to eat your food and break your heart. Well, here Sam is eating his food and breaking his heart. Exactly. Sam isn't grateful for the things that Dean was doing for him and for the stuff that Dean was going through to protect Sam from John, from the life, from whatever. He was, he's not grateful for the length that Dean went to to try and give him Christmas, to try and give him Thanksgiving in the best way that he could because he was the child in that dynamic. And all that he was, you know, supposed to be doing was being a kid. 
And it's not his fault that Dean was made to be the parent. So, like, it's a very complex... Which begs the question, whose fault is it? Oh, gee, I fucking wonder. (laughs) Who could be responsible for this? Yes, and look, we've gotten a little off topic. I do still have a couple of points to make about Sam's first... Mm -hmm. Yeah, go for it. heaven scenario. So, first of all, king of understatements, Sam Winchester. We love to see him. Wondering how he got into heaven, he says, I've done a few things. (laughs) Just a few. (laughs) Nothing specific, you know, but I've done some stuff. I saw someone get hurt once. Is this the first (laughs) instance of Sam Winchester giving Ruby the credit she deserves? (laughs) Maybe. I just think it's so funny. Because it's the first time he hasn't taken full credit for exactly what she did. I love that we can just add this to the list of things he has understated. So, Like, we've got, I saw someone get hurt once. We've got, I'm a bit depressed, I guess. And now we had, I've done some stuff. Just some stuff is <laughs> well, a good question. a few things, you yeah. know. <laughs> like, all right, Sam. You have, I guess. <laughs> like, he's not wrong. No. Arguably, he's not wrong. It's just the mildest way to put it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really, like, understated way to say... I let a demon manipulate me and started the apocalypse. Yeah, I did a bunch of drugs and then ruined the world. (laughs) Anywho, as we move into the next dream sequence, we get some wonderful wisdom from Cass, which is don't go into the light. I Mm. adore that Dean's like, okay, thanks. (laughs) Because Cass fully does not understand the, like, hilarity of what he's just said. And I just think it's wonderful. Like, he's genuinely saying, like, no, no, avoid Zachariah. Like, he is the helicopter searching yeah. for you. It's, it's just a very fun, like, very literal interpretation. And I enjoy that quite a lot. I also just want to very quickly point out that Dean says, we are kind of arseful of angels. And I'm like, that is such a wild way for you to phrase that. Like, it is just is such a choice. Is your arse really full of angels? Yeah, is that really the descriptor you want to go with? Like, again, not wrong. <laughs> but anyway, point is, what a wild choice. I also just want to touch on the fact that, again, Cass is being such a little bitch. I love it. He's like, you think maybe, just maybe, we should find out what God has been saying? (laughs) And I'm like, yes, baby, boy, tell them they're stupid. I love it. It's incredible. Peak Cass energy. He just, he he gets me. (laughs) You're like, I am in love with Zachariah, but Castiel understands me. (laughs) I also just love that we get the line from Sam where he says to Dean, you think the road is in a closet? Because I'm like, I don't know, Sam. He spent a lot more time in there than you did. Like, I mean, <laughs> he still hasn't found the road out of the closet yet. No, so. but he did find the road in. <laughs> Which brings us to our next dream sequence. Would you like to kick us off? So the next dream sequence, if I'm remembering this at all correctly, is Dean's dream sequence where he's like that three or four and Mary's and, there. And he loves hugs. And he loves hugs, which <laughs> we're going to discuss. Okay, wonderful. Because I did find out recently that the Huggy Bear reference in Abandon All Hope is actually a reference to Starskin Hutch. There's an informant called Huggy Bear. Oh, okay. There are so many other references that was not necessary. <laughs> but it is fucking hilarious that in this episode we have... I love hugs. Do you know what's so funny? I have never made that connection. But I'm obsessed with it. And I'm so glad you brought it up. 
Because, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's abandoned. It's abandoned all hope. Yeah, 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 yeah. Perfect. Okay, lovely. I'm citing my sources, correct? Yes, you are. Yeah, so apparently that is actually a reference to something which we didn't know. But it is fucking hilarious that we get Huggy Bear. And then, and then I Love Hugs. I love hugs. Because is... I'm pretty sure it also has a teddy bear. It does. On the I Love Hugs shirt. That is actually hilarious. I'm connecting the dots. You're connecting dots that I didn't even know existed. <laughs> Dean from Shadow Coded. <laughs> I mean... You can admit it. I'm better at 4D chess than you are. You are. (laughs) Okay. Now, this sequence is another heartbreaking one. Because apparently Dean's just always been covering for John Winchester. Yeah. Since Three years old. Since before Mary died. Very, very quickly, because obviously this is going to be like a Dean moment. Mm -hmm. I do want to touch on the fact that I do think it is heart-wrenching that Sam physically can't interact with Mary. Like, he's trying, Mm -hmm. but she won't even look at him because this isn't his memory. No. And, like... I do feel for Sam in that moment, but I also fully understand why Dean is like, can you just let me have this? Mm-hmm. Like, just for a minute. Just let me exist in this space. Just for 30 seconds. Also, I do love that, theoretically, and I'm going to say this later again when we get to Dean's final dream sequence, but Sam is in every single one of Dean's mm-hmm. ideal dream sequence memories. Because, yeah. okay, yeah, he's an infant here, but he is still actually existing. John, however, absent, missing from all of them. Not even... In the same universe, yeah. he is nowhere to be seen. And do you know what is interesting? In every single one of Sam's dreams, theoretically, Dean is with John. Mm-hmm. Like, you because, have to assume. And here's the thing. That 4th of July memory could have so easily been a shared yeah. heaven dream thing. Yeah. But it's not. It's like when Dean says, "This that was mine, Sam seems like he'd forgotten completely about that night. Yeah. It wasn't even a blip on the radar. Mm-hmm. Which I think is, again, just like another interesting commentary on how differently they remember their childhood and what they valued in their, their upbringing, you mm-hmm. know? I want to quickly mention the fact that Mary is making Dean a PB&J. PB&Js actually become, like, a thing. Not so much within Crippy era, but, like, later seasons, particularly in relation to Cass, PB&Js become, like, a thing. Yeah, I, you're making a face at me because that doesn't make any sense right now. But I promise seasons from now, like I think four seasons from now, that will make way more sense. See, I'm almost scared to be like, I want this to make sense versus I don't, you know? like <laughs> You're like, what is the better option? It's never been reassuring in the past that something will make sense later. <laughs> never. That's so valid. Like there's such a bad track record. <laughs> Concern is the one and only emotion I can currently feel about that. <laughs> Ballot, we'll get there. So speaking of concern, obviously recently in 514, My Bloody Valentine, we find out that John and Mary were set up by heaven, and the Cupid makes the point that like when they first met, they fucking hated each other, but by the time that they were done, perfect couple, right? Except for as soon as Sam was born, apparently. <laughs> well, look, here's the thing. You could argue that maybe Jeffrey Dean Morgan was just unavailable. <laughs> like, sure. But they didn't if have Jeffrey to do did... John like yeah. this. And like the fact that this is considered, like, a happy memory for Dean of his childhood. Like, surely, surely there was a, a memory that would be happier than this one. But the fact that this is the happy memory of him comforting his mother because his fucking deadbeat dad, and that's his own words, I might add. His deadbeat dad who's been deadbeat since before his mother died. Yeah. And, like, this is the thing. This is another thing that Dean shielded Sam from. Because Mm. Sam makes the point of, like, I thought they had the perfect marriage. And Dean says it wasn't perfect until after she died. Which, like... Fucking savage! Oh, my God. (laughs) First of all, banger of a line, by the way. 
But like, yeah, like it's such an interesting commentary on the way that we talked even in the pilot about how Mary was such a symbol. Mm. Like she wasn't really given a character as such. And even now we've had her crop back up a few times. Like she still often in the main show gets reduced to that symbol of purity and like perfect motherhood and perfect wife and like that whole kind of fucking bullshit ideal. And like, obviously like she died and John just put her up on this pedestal and was like, there were never any problems and like she was just the perfect everything and it's low-key what sam did to john when john died also kind of low-key what he did to jess when jess died i mean here's the thing we know even less about jess mm. than we ever do about mary so like it's harder to say that but like yeah like we never hear him say anything negative about jess ever and like not that i think we should but it is interesting given especially that he straight up turned around and did that to john like he did that full 180 of like well what would dad have liked and you know that sort of mind shift I think is like really interesting. It's just wild. It is. It is wild. It's like the further John coding of Sam, which is just always interesting to me. And the further Mary coding of Dean. Oh yeah. 100%. And then like, so Mary's having this conversation with John on the phone and she says, you know, you've got, what is that? I think about you've got two boys at home. Mm. Like, which the fact that he was walking out on his kids, like, yeah, good point, Mary. Yeah. He does have two young boys at home. What is he doing? And you know what? He worked out a way around that by selling the home. <laughs> You've got two young boys in your car. <laughs> doesn't have the same rent to it. It just doesn't, yeah. He can't leave two boys at home if he makes them homeless. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Going I mean, up, am I wrong? You're not wrong. <laughs> and then we have Dean going up to Mary and saying, it's okay, mom. Dad still loves you. I love you too. I'll never leave you. And we know because of the way that these memories are kind of working, that that must be, at least in effect, what he said to her in that moment. And it's interesting, it's one of the very few times that we get Dean saying, I love you out loud. Like, you can count on one hand the number of times he says that in the show. And honestly, like, off the top of my head, I want to say it's like three max. That's the emotional repression. Yes. So... We get that. And then obviously we have Mary saying, you are my little angel, which is just like a whole fucking other thing. And I'm assuming you didn't pick it because you haven't asked, but we do get Dean's theme, the piece of music that's playing as he gets up from the table and moves across to like deliver that little monologue. That is Dean's theme. Didn't think it was like Dean solo enough for it to be Dean's theme there. So no, I didn't pick it. Like I've said a million times before, that piece of music is so specifically tied to Dean's very emotional moments or pivotal points for his character Mm. like you know as a quick reminder the first time it crops up in the series is when he's killed the first human like when he first uses the cult to kill a demon and he's reckoning with the fact that Mm. he's just killed the person the demon was possessing and not just the demon inside so like this piece of music like is so trackable for him and so yes like this is a solid use of it i think and whenever i hear it it just makes me a little emotional So it just, like, adds a certain something to that scene for me. It's just wild. This entire episode is just wild. I know. Like, I, there's genuinely so much shit here. Why did they think this was necessary? For well over an hour now. Hour 20. I'm halfway through my notes, maybe. Like, there is just so much. I feel like we could talk about even just one of these dream sequences for the length of a normal episode. They really were like, let's just do everything. Like, we had a couple of filler episodes. And this is why (laughs) so much happens here. I mean, evenly spaced out character development, who? (laughs) But yeah, like, so yeah, we get that scene and we find out John's been shit the The entire entire time. time. Not just after Mary's death, which makes John apologism even more wild Mm -hmm. to me. 
honestly, having this scene makes me, like, everyone who's like, he was just doing his best. I'm like, was he, though? Like, was he? Because even, like, even if you want to argue, like, the tragedy of losing Mary and stuff, mm-hmm. like, sure. But, like, clearly before that point, like, like, like he, yeah, he was running out on his kids. But there's an actual parent still there. Yeah, that's the difference. You know, and in this instance, you would assume he's not hunting monsters. He's no. just fucking out. We don't even know where he is. What is he doing? Is he just staying at a motel, going to, like, work And we day? get the confirmation that he had previously stayed away for a couple of nights. Like, it was not... Yeah, this doesn't feel like a, a once-off. Off. No, and it also doesn't feel like a first instance. Sam even makes the point of, you know, I just never realised how long you've been cleaning up Dad's mess. Mm. And, like, yeah, neither has the audience. Because we always just kind of assume that Dean's been doing it since he was about four, because that's when Mary died. But now we know that actually he's been doing it for forever. He's been doing it since he was old enough to talk. Yeah. Like, like literally. Mm -hmm. And so it just makes, like, the reading of his relationship to his parents even more complicated. And it also, like, deepens the reading of like his relationship to Sam because it's just like I said before another instance of clearly he has shielded Sam from this so much that Sam just didn't know. Sam is absolutely clueless like I know we make the joke that like Sam's kind of dumb but like (laughs) this episode really highlights just how oblivious he is. Which, again, I don't think is his fault. No. Because he is the child in this scenario. I think it's actually a testament to how well Dean did his job. Yeah, as like a pseudo-parent. As a pseudo-parent, that he is genuinely... Shocked by these turns of events. Yeah. Honestly, good segue into our next dream sequence. Mm. Do you want to kick us off on this one? You're more than welcome to. (laughs) You seem to have more opinions about this one than I do. Ooh, okay. First of all, we get Bones... I love Bones. Like, do you remember, like, Forever Ago? I was like, oh, yeah, we get a few dogs through Supernatural. Mm. I love Bones. Is Bones one of the ones that you actually remember? I think so. Is the question. When I was rewatching this episode, I was like, is Bones one of the dogs that I fucking remembered? Because you forgot most of Yeah, I honestly don't know. But I do love Bones. If I did forget him, sorry. But, like, he's just such a cutie. He's such a good boy. And, like... The part when, like, the sequence is ending and Sam is like, no, Bonesy, you have to stay. I'm like, that is so... Do you know how long this fucking dog has been waiting for you to come back? But what gets me is the way Dean says, so this is when you ran off Flagstaff. He says something along the lines, I don't take down the exact quote and I'm realising that was probably a mistake. I probably got it. (laughs) He says something along the lines of, like, do you know how much trouble I got in? Do you know what's interesting is that he doesn't actually say that. That portion is completely unsaid. What actually happens is Dean is like, is this Flagstaff, this is a good memory for you? And Sam's like, yeah, I was on my own for two weeks. And he's like, I lived on Funyuns and something else that's like, a, I assume, an American thing. Yeah. Which, to be fair, so are Funyuns. But Dean then says, this is a good memory for you. You ran away on my watch. I looked everywhere for you. I thought you were dead. Dot, dot, dot. And when dad came home. And then he does not elaborate. The implication there is when dad come home, he beat my ass. Yeah. Big time. And the look, kudos to Jensen in this mm. moment. Because the unspoken there is just fucking brutal. And also his acting is just superb. Like the facial journey that he goes on. The holding back tears. The like inhale. The very slight shaking of the head. It's just that experience for him was so traumatic he can't even fucking vocalize it Mm. 
And like, that's a very Dean thing. Like we know from earlier episodes, I think from Dead in the Water, he is saying to uh, the kid in that episode, when I was young, like I saw something really bad happen and I didn't talk for ages either. Like we know that that's a trauma response from him. He doesn't talk. There is some stuff where he just, he goes mute. That's part of his trauma response. Yeah. And so to incorporate that here, whether it was intentional or not, I don't know. It might've just been that like, they didn't want to vocalize like John physically beat me. You know, and emotionally ripped me a new one. Because, again, this show cannot decide if it wants to be John apologetic or fucking not. I don't know. I think it's really funny, though, that even if the show wants to be John apologetic, it makes Dean Winchester decided otherwise. Yeah, literally. (laughs) Dean Winchester was like, actually, my father was a piece of shit. Yeah, like, we have this moment, and not only is it Dean, again, not being able to vocalise his own trauma which is an ongoing thing for him. But it is also, again, him shielding it from Sam. Because even in this moment where he is heavily alluding to the fact that he was severely punished in one way or another, he is still not telling Sam. I'm guessing physical violence. Oh, yeah. Like, that is my reading of this scene. Absolutely my reading as well. Like, I don't think this scene makes sense if the answer is not physical violence. Yeah, and we actually don't know how old they were in this sequence either. There is no mention. Like... Earlier, we know that Sam was 11 for the Thanksgiving. We got 1996 as the date for the 4th of July. Yeah, the scene with Mary and that, we know how old they are just simply by context clues. Yeah, like we can Sam is alive, down. Mary's alive. So, you know, it's a narrow window. It's in that six-month period. And Stanford, we know. Flagstaff, we don't really. We don't know how old they were at no. all. We know that they were old enough that John was leaving Dean to watch Sam. So that puts it anywhere as like eight and up, basically. Mm. Yeah. You know, so that unspoken moment is for me, one of the most heartbreaking, but also I think one of the strongest points of the episode. Because I think there is value in leaving what happened unspoken because it allows, one, the audience to fill that space. And like one of those things in specifically like horror, but like it works well here as well, is that whatever the audience places in that cavity will almost always be more horrifying than anything you could write. Mm -hmm. And I think that it is more impactful in that way in allowing the audience to fill in their own blanks. And like, yeah, for me, at least, my interpretation has always been like, oh, John beat the shit out of him. And like, this comes back to, again, older episodes, like Something Wicked, which we actually get flashbacks to in the recap for this episode. And obviously we talk about the Samulet Mm -hmm. later on and we'll get there, but... Though I am surprised that the recap was not just the entire 40-minute episode of Mystery Spot. <laughs> it doesn't Ash say at some point, like, you guys have died more than anyone else I've ever fucking met. Which, I mean, not surprising. No, I do also love, we forgot to, I forgot to mention this before, but Ash has a line where he's like, God, angels, must have windexed your brains. And I just love it. I love the windexed implications. Yeah, me too. Anywho, so we have that moment and... I've said this a million times, I sound like a broken record by now, but like it just again highlights how differently they remember their childhoods. And Sam makes the point of like, Dean, look, I'm sorry, I never thought about it like that. And like, no fucking shit, clearly you didn't think about it like that because you think this is like a good memory. And like also clearly Sam was never told in the aftermath, like when they found him. No, because like that's the thing, like... I think if he knew what Dean went through because of that, it wouldn't be looked at as exactly. a fond memory. Exactly. Because at the end of the day, he does care for Dean. Yeah, like the whole thing but would be tinged by guilt. He's just kind of self-obsessed and he doesn't think about the implications for literally anybody else. Here's the thing. I know you're a younger sibling, but it is like younger sibling credit. <laughs> like I say this with so much affection and not implicating you specifically, but like 
yeah, like, he is the younger sibling. And in this instance, he's an only child because Dean is raising him. And so, he, yeah, he is a little bit lost in his own world. Like, he's not thinking about the implications that his actions are having on Dean. No. At all. And, and like, the other thing is that he's not even necessarily wrong for running away. No. But it's just he doesn't actually, he's never had to think of the implications of his actions on Dean. Mm-hmm. Because Dean has always minimised... The, like, repercussions. Yeah. And, like, even looking back at Dead Man's Blood and having that moment where Dean steps between Sam and John and is like, stop it. Like, would you just fucking... Like, no. Like, both of you. You know? And he's putting himself between them again and again and again and again. And, like, there's another episode coming in Season 9 where I will reference back to this as well. I already know that I will. And it is yet another instance of Dean choosing to do something where for him it's like this massive life altering decision or like this thing that meant so much to him that Sam like doesn't even fucking remember. And it comes back again to this concept of your kids aren't supposed to be grateful. They're supposed to eat your food and break your heart. And like, I don't think that it is on Sam for not understanding what these moments in his life meant to Dean. Because he wasn't experiencing it from Dean's perspective. No. And Dean was specifically shielding him from it. But I do think it is very, very interesting for them to come back both as adults and be able to view the scenario with a little bit, like, obviously not entirely objectively, but, like, with a bit of a step back. Mm. And, like, be actually able to discuss it. Because clearly this has never come up in conversation between the two of Mm. them. And, like, why would it, to be fair? That's a specifically nasty one. just... It's interesting, though, that these are the memories that he thinks of most of. Yeah. That is the crux of it at the end of the day. These aren't just memories that he thinks of as, you know, primarily happy. These are his happiest moments. It's just like cream of the crop. This is cream of the crop. Like, we're going... Gold standard or platinum standard, even. And, like, I think that kind of boils down why it is so upsetting for Dean as well. Because, like, Dean's fondest memories make fucking sense. Mm. And they're all centred on family. And his connection with Sam and his connection with Mary and the lack of John. Mm. Like, the most John we get is in mentions about abuse and also his jacket, you know, or the car, maybe. There is no John content here. Like, the only John content we get is he's a shitty father who has an infant son and is already not spending time at home. Yeah. yeah. Like, and... This brings us to the final dream sequence that we get, excluding the one with Mary and Zachariah, which is the Stanford fight. This is the closest we ever get to actually seeing Mm. that fight play out, and we don't see it or hear it at all. It's literally just Sam and Dean outside the house that it occurred in, which theoretically they were squatting in. I assume that's why Mm. they were in a house. I mean, it's not their house. We've already established they're homeless. Yes. And... We have Sam, who very clearly immediately recognises it for what it is. Mm. Because he immediately is like, hey, look, a road, let's go. And Dean's like, hang on a minute, like, where are we? And Sam's like, I don't know, just a fucking house, I guess, let's go. Don't imagine why this is in my fondest memories. You're like, hmm, weird. What a surprise. And then Dean is like, he figures it out. He's like, this is your idea of heaven? Like, this was like one of the worst nights of my life. Like, seriously, this is a happy memory for you? Like, he just can't fathom it. Like, Flagstaff was one thing Mm. because Sam was removed. Like, I think that as upsetting as that was, like, I think that he could understand, you know, getting away from John and, like, having space or whatever. And he could understand because he's like, well, you didn't see what happened to me. No. 
But this is different. This is different. You knew. Yeah, you knew exactly what was happening. And Sam says, you know, he makes the point that I mentioned earlier. Like, I don't know. I was on my own. Finally got away from dad. And then Dean comes back with, yeah, he wasn't the only one you got away from. Which. I think it's a little unfair of Dean to be fully pissy. But I also understand why he is. If that makes sense. Like, this is his emotional reaction to this. Mm -hmm. Which is, like, fair enough that that's his emotional reaction. But also, like, you specifically designed this life for Sam so that he didn't think about you. Yeah. I think this comes into the very complicated nature of their relationship. Where, like, they always talk about each other like they're brothers. They refer to each other that way. And it's, like, very much, like, they think they have a sibling dynamic. They don't. No. They really don't. And... Dean makes this point where he's like, your heaven is literally someone else's Thanksgiving. Like, I think that the point that he's getting at here is like, Sam keeps saying, you know, I got away from dad. And Dean is making the point of like, okay, but I'm not in any of these memories either. No, and like, that's the other thing. We know they have memories, just the The two two of them. them. Exactly. Because Because Dean had, we saw it. But we also, and also because that's most of their childhood. Yeah, like we also have flashbacks. We've seen in other episodes of something wicked. We've seen the flashbacks of a very supernatural Christmas. We've seen the flashbacks. Like we it's know, it's not just was... that Dad's not there. It's Dean Dean's isn't there either. either. And I think part of that comes down to, like I mentioned before, like Sam's greatest hits are all rooted in moments where he had full autonomy and was making choices. Right, mm. bad and choices, but choices. That, yeah. <laughs> Sam's known for making arguably questionable choices, but, you know, at least he's making them Mm. in his mind. Most of the time he is, in fact, being manipulated. By right. (laughs) Yes. Anyway, wrong season. So the thing is here is that, like, because Dean is a parental figure, Mm -hmm. to have full autonomy, Sam has to be separate from Dean. For that to be the point, Dean can't be there. Because that would not be having full autonomy, because Dean is a parental figure, especially in the memories where they're younger. You know, like... To have that autonomy, Sam needs to be fully removed from any kind of parental supervision, right? But that's not what it's about for Dean. And I think that they're viewing the reasons why these memories are happy from very different lenses because they have very different priorities. Because Dean's always had bodily autonomy. Almost too much. Well, like the lack of parental supervision is almost too much. (laughs) Yeah, well, there's that. You could also pop in here the conversations we've had before about John making Dean essentially use his body Mm. to put food on the table but also again dead man's blood again dead man's blood but also like as yeah as bait you know as like sweet talking his way into cabins and trucks like these Mm. things like we know that Dean has been stripped of autonomy in these ways but it is a lot more prevalent like continuously prevalent in Sam Mm. like as a character if you're going to look at those things like absolutely there are moments where Dean's autonomy has been stripped from him in truly horrendous ways but for sam it is almost continuous for dean it is like specific pockets he's had no bodily autonomy since he was six months old essentially yeah like the the last time he had full bodily autonomy was when he was six months old yeah when he didn't have any demon blood yeah like the last time he had bodily autonomy mary was alive yeah basically and he essentially alludes to that here as well not in as many words but he says i just have a different idea of family than you like i never got the crusts cut off my pb and j I just don't look at family the same way. And Dean comes back with, yeah, but I'm your family. We're supposed to be a team. It's supposed to be you and me against the world, right? And Sam's like, Dean, it is. And Dean's like, is it? And honestly, like, I understand why he's saying that. Because, yeah, he's sitting there, like, looking at Sam's fucking highlight reel. And he's like, where am I? I am absent. 
it comes back to that parent-child dynamic again. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, it's an eternal loop. Anyway, did you have anything else that you wanted to add to those dream sequences? Because I think that I have covered all of my major notes and I can't personally get into the nitty gritties without this becoming a seven hour episode. Look, I think I'm all done with my my big broad general notes about the dream sequences. Mm -hmm. I still have more notes about the episode as a whole. Yes, me too. But that was pretty well my thoughts on the dream sequences. Yeah. Which is like the parent-child dynamic is really obvious. Yes. In this episode. And the emotional rift. I think that some of the biggest takeaways is like, yes, the parent-child dynamic, the emotional rift that they're opening up between Sam and Dean, which I think is like, you could probably fold into like plot stuff because like, obviously we're at the midpoint now or just over the midpoint for season five. And we've established it's always bad when the brothers are separated. Yes. They are more vulnerable apart, despite the fact they say, no, they're more vulnerable together. Yes, it's a stupid take from them, but you know what? We're used to that by now. It's been nearly five full seasons. They have a lot of stupid We're used to them being a little dumb. We love them, but they're a bit dumb. And here's the thing. I think the other takeaway from these sequences is specifically the difference in the way that Sam views family and events and the way that Dean views family and events. And for Sam, he is imagining Christmas or Thanksgiving or birthdays or whatever, and he's imagining this Hallmark event. Mm. And Dean is imagining quality time with family. And it's just a very... Making the best of a bad situation. Yes. Like, it is just two very distinct images. So what Dean sees as, like, you know, like, you get a lot, like, oh, John was just a man trying his best. Like, no, 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 no. Dean was a kid trying his best, I think. Like, that is what it comes down to. Like, was Christmas perfect for them as kids no but the bits that were good were the bits that dean orchestrated the bits where he was fucking trying and that's just not what sam like it's not what sam's focusing on sam's focusing on what wasn't there rather than what was and it's almost the same with john and dean like he's focusing on his things being like well john wasn't there therefore it was good and he's not really thinking about the fact that dean wasn't there as well yeah you know like it's about he's looking at what was missing rather than what was actually there i I'm ready to move on. Are you ready to move on? I think if you don't make me move on, we're going to get stuck here. (laughs) I want to make a point. I am very certain about. Okay. Which is that we get to talk to Joshua. Mm -hmm. And Joshua basically says, well, God's already helped you. He put you on that plane. Like, he saved you. And he saved Castiel. I am willing to bet that he's going to regret saving Castiel. I think he already does. Like, (laughs) I don't think that was a situation in which God thought through his actions. Mm Mm-mm. And I think he's already regretting the fact that he did save Castiel. I think he's regretting it too. And actually, so I wrote down a quote, so I'll just quickly recap it here. But basically, they go to Joshua and they're like, right, where's God? Like, we need to talk to him. And Joshua's like, actually, God has a message for you. Back off. Which, like, that's the whole message, which is fucking hilarious. But then Joshua elaborates a little bit. He says, he already knows everything you want to tell him, which makes sense because he's literally omnipresent. Like, he's God. (laughs) Of course he knows what you want to tell him. He already knows everything you want to tell him. He just doesn't think it's his problem. God saved you already. He put you on that plane. He brought back Castiel. He granted you, being Sam, salvation in heaven and after everything you've done too. It's more than he's intervened in a long time. You won't be able to find him. Suck it up, basically. That's really the most we get about God's thoughts on the whole situation. (laughs) What are your thoughts on God's thoughts? John vibes. Right? I'm telling (laughs) you. Back in season one, when I was telling you all this shit, like, they view their childhoods differently, and Dean is their dad, and John is God, I was not fucking around. (laughs) But no, so my exact note is, 
He saved you by saving Castile, and guess what? He's going to regret that. <laughs> that is so accurate. Oh, um, we also get in this sequence, they ask, like, where is he? Basically, like, where's God? And Joshua says, God's on Earth. So we can probably assume Chuck is God from at least this point on. Because we've been umming and ahhing mm. about, like, at what point is Chuck God? Like, is he God the whole time or does he become God at a later date? So I think we can pretty safely assume from at least this point Chuck is God. Here's the if Chuck is already God at this point, I would have assumed that Chuck has always been God. Already been, yeah. If that makes sense. Like, yeah. If he's God but in a different vessel and he, and he hops to Chuck at a later date, that's different. But I feel like if Chuck is God at this point, he's been God, God the, the whole, whole time. time. Like, we haven't seen Chuck before and after God. He's, he's either before God or after God. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, and I know that we made the joke, like, way back when, when you first found out about the Samulet being, like, you know, a, a god spotter, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, you were like, oh, Dean was wearing too, too many, many layers to be able to feel that it had heated up. Like, they make the point in this episode that, like, magic amulet or not, you're not going to be able to find him. So that actually, like, means that the fact that Dean was wearing it in the presence of Chuck, if Chuck was God, like, it wasn't, it was never going to work because God just didn't want to be found. And God's will trumps magic amulet. This is not a shocking revelation, I don't think. <laughs> no. Though I am curious. So Joshua's an angel, right? Yes. It, he's not an archangel. Is he a seraph like Cass or? I don't know that we ever get his like classification. He's just known as the gardener. If he was an archangel, then he could be the one protecting Chuck, which would lend credence to the fact that Chuck is God. Yeah. If Joshua yeah, yeah. is the only person who speaks to God and... Joshua is an archangel. Joshua could be the same archangel that's protecting Chuck. And therefore it makes sense that the same archangel who's protecting Chuck is also the archangel who's been talking to God. Yeah, that does make sense. If that makes sense. It does. I don't think we ever find out what like rank Joshua sits at. This is the most we ever get about Joshua specifically. I don't remember if we get like... So nothing. Yeah, I don't think we ever really get much more than, like, a mention of him from this point. Mm. I could be misremembering that, remembering there are, like, another ten seasons beyond this point. But, Beth, you were meant to be <laughs> the expert on this podcast. I don't know what to tell you, Jamie. I didn't even connect the Huggy Bear Wubs Hugs dots, so... You just keep on letting the team down. <laughs> I don't know how you manage to do it so often. <laughs> this is coming back to me being bad at team sports. I don't know what to tell you, Jamie. Like, I, can't it just, be, I can't be on top of everything. <laughs> you didn't even make the Huggy Bear connection. I'm sorry. Which is just batshit bananas to me. <laughs> like, what do you mean you didn't make the Huggy Bear connection? Like, it's a pretty obvious connection. I was too busy crying about Dean's theme and laughing about him finding the road in a closet, okay? Anyway, but no, so I don't think that we ever find out anything really more about Joshua. I do like Joshua. As a character, I think he has a different energy to the rest of the angels. He's more chill than the rest of the angels. Like, all the yeah. other angels kind of seem like they're going to kill you. Yeah. He's, like, way more vibey. Yeah. Which, like, makes sense because his job is to, like, I think he says, like, trim the hedges. He has a much more chill job. Whereas, like, to be fair, like, Zachariah is a psycho, but he also has a very high-pressure job. Mm -hmm. So, like, yeah. I get that wearing on you a little bit. And same goes for, like, basically every other angel as well. Like, they're having high-intensity jobs. Zachariah is that woman in every Hallmark Christmas movie who has like a high powered job. <laughs> he has to go to like the Christmas tree farm. Are you suggesting romance between Zachariah and Joshua based in like Joshua has to go to the garden for some fucking reason and he's pissy about it and then Joshua teaches him the real meaning of angelhood? Like, is that. <laughs> Look, I wasn't thinking specifically Joshua. 
Ella, but you are 100% oh, correct. That would be perfect. That's so funny. That should be your next pick. <laughs> oh, I also, while we're quickly back on Zach, I do love the moment where Joshua says to him, you know how he is with that whole wrath thing about God? I just think that's very entertaining. There's just so many layers to this episode. Yeah. Like, it's like a fucking lasagna. Mm. There are more layers in this episode than in Dean Winchester's outfits, and that mm. is saying something. They made choices. I know. Wildly, a lot of them ended up being quite effective and good. It's out of character for the show Supernatural. <laughs> I would just like to say, though, that I'm crediting all of the good things about this episode to Laughlin. <laughs> Darb did none of them. Darb wrote MILF and Dean and Pam kissing. <laughs> The two worst parts of the entire episode. Look, here's the thing. Currently, at the moment, like, there's a whole big writer's strike happening. And, like, Mm. look, I just can't wait to see what show gets gay angelified personally. But Mm. the thing about it is, like, obviously, like, we shit on Darb a lot. But it's low-hanging fruit. Like, it's it's an easy joke. And I just want to put maybe as a blanket here. Like, I don't think that he is entirely to blame for everything that ever went wrong in the show Supernatural. But it is way funnier to no, act like that's the case. As well. Yeah, I think so. Well, he created it. Yeah, so. but even, even split. If something's wrong in Supernatural, it's either Darb or Kripke. They're your two options. <laughs> and Kripke is another example. Like, obviously writers are very important and valuable, particularly in the creation of TV and film and books and, you know, fucking basically any art form that isn't explicitly just picture-based. Obviously, they're very important. Obviously, they put time and effort into their craft. And I just want to put out here, because we shit on him a lot. Like, I don't think that everything he ever did was bad. It's just that it is so much funnier to pretend that it was. And so, just like, you know, very quickly here, general note... Sometimes he pops off. It's just that sometimes he really doesn't. No, you're wrong. Sometimes Laughlin pops off and God <laughs> just happens to be there. I really wish I knew specifically about the way that they, as a duo, conducted their writing process. Because I feel like it would answer a lot of questions that I have. I don't know if someone has like a, a, an interview somewhere where they specifically Darb and Laughlin talk about their creative processes, either individually or together. I would be fucking fascinated to to see it. Anyway, I just wanted to put that in there because we do shit on him a lot. I, look, if Darb wants to come on the podcast and find me about it, he's <laughs> more than himself. welcome to. Yeah. Until then, us and our, like, 50 listeners <laughs> can chill over here in our, you know what, maybe Darb was bad, actually, Circle. <laughs> One other quick note I wanted to pop in here about Joshua is that we have the line from Sam where he goes, this is Heaven's Garden. I'm like, damn, Sam, sound more unimpressed. Why don't you? But then Dean, like, tries to, like, caveat it with, like, it's nice-ish. To be fair, it makes sense that he's not trying to offend Joshua because he's, like, <laughs> about to beg Joshua to get God to help them. <laughs> to help them, yeah. Which, okay, they keep on being like, let's just kill the devil. The same energy is like, we'll just kill the trickster. <laughs> Which, actually, identical energy, yeah. considering... They have tried and failed to kill the trickster, who is the same level of archangel yeah. as the devil. They're the same fucking species. They're yeah. the same fucking species. 
I'm sorry, why are they still like, mm, we're going to defeat the devil by killing him and not re-locking him in the cage that he was trapped in for so long? Right? It's like, okay, come up with any secondary plan. Like, yeah. I don't really care what the secondary plan is at this point, but clearly killing him is off the table. You fucking tried. You used the gun that until recently we thought could kill everything. Yeah. So... Which is a way what's worse really, title. <laughs> what's really fun, though, is knowing that the gun that kills everything doesn't kill Lucifer. So even if they had the cult and tried to kill Gabe with it, it they still work. wouldn't have been able to. So any plan they had that hinged on killing Gabe... Never gonna fucking work. Wasn't gonna work. And, like, I've told you that they can be killed with an Archangel Blade, but unless I'm wrong, and maybe correct me if I am, I don't think the show has said that Not. yet. So like, that just means that they... St- have no idea. No, the only weapon they have that will come close to killing them is Cassiel's angel blade, but, like, it's just a regular angel blade. Yeah. So, I'm like, guys, any plan. You, you've used your most powerful weapon and it didn't fucking work. They needed to do, like, a brainstorm session. You know? Like, make a mind map. You know? I feel like 30 minutes in a whiteboard, Cass and Bobby would have come up with, like, 40 new ideas. I'm assuming... Bobby or Cass is supplying the whiteboard because these are John Winchester's children. <laughs> they would clearly just have a motel wall covered in thumbtacks. <laughs> Speaking of John, we mm. also, when uh, Joshua has done his little monologue and he's saying, you know, God just doesn't think it's his problem, which is like wild take from God. Like you literally started everything and this is your actual literal plan that you plotted out. So insane to me that you don't think it's your problem. But uh, moving right along from that, Dean says, just another deadbeat dad with a bunch of excuses. I'm used to that. I'll muddle through. Which is, again, like, doubling down on the fuck John Winchester of it all. It's like the writers want to make John apologism and then Dean Winchester possesses the vessel for a moment. And (laughs) goes, no. No. I love the implication, like, this wasn't in the script. Jensen just felt Dean (laughs) rise up in him and he just said it. And they were like, you know what, you're right, we'll, well keep it in. The writers, by and large, have a bad track record when it comes to defending John Lewis. So yeah. that's what makes me say that. Mm. I just think it's interesting because I think this is the first time, or at least one of the very few times, we've had Dean vocalise in front of Sam and to other people his opinion on John being a shitty dad. Because the most vocal he's been about it prior to this point was really either to Cass or in 310, when he is monologuing literally at his imagined self. So this is the first time that I'm pretty sure Sam has heard Dean explicitly refer to John as like a deadbeat with a bunch of excuses. Like this is overt. And I think that this is a really interesting place to put it given the revelations we've had of just explaining to Sam kind of maybe what was happening behind the scenes of Flagstaff and, you know, like Stanford and like all these other things. Having him have just had to relive all that shit and even like the scene with Mary on the phone having to relive John's lowest moments or I assume not even his lowest because for Sam and Dean these are happy memories so what the fuck is a bad memory you know so I think that it's interesting to to have him be overt here and particularly Mm. in front of Sam because we've you know talked about a lot his whole thing has been shielding Sam from the reality of John we then have Joshua saying to Dean in response to him saying he'll muddle through Except you don't know if you can this time. You're losing faith in yourself, in your brother, and now in this. And I just want to pop a quick note in here to say that's a bit cascoded. Just a little bit cascoded. Just a smidge. Just a smidge. And I'm going to come back to that a little later. But 
Yeah, so because Cass is having a similar experience. Like, he's losing faith. He's lost faith in himself because he's like, he doesn't know really what he's doing because he's lost everything that he thought he knew about everything from the beginning of time to now. He's lost faith in his brothers and his sisters, like, you know, because they're obviously fighting for opposite causes. And now this, because Cass is now about to also lose the last hope that is God directly. But again, stop thinking of it as we've got to kill the devil and start thinking of it as we've just got to stop the devil. Yeah, like Lucifer like, wasn't doing shit what? for centuries. You'd be amazed at how effective a get-along cage can be. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm bringing the get-along <laughs> cage back. Get-along cage. Every time you say it, I just imagine the actors of Michael Lucifer, like, in one of that fucking t-shirt. It's <laughs> like, this is our get-along so shirt. Was, I, I haven't seen an actor for... Michael, yeah. So like, oh, I'm imagining Matt Cohen from Five Thirteen. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So young John, young John, (laughs) young John, and Lucifer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And Lucifer's obviously Nick. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, funnier take. Young John and Lucifer as Sam from The End. (laughs) And Dean putting them in the get along shirt. Sorry, I just, that just came into my brain and I was like, I need to share this immediately. <laughs> yeah, okay, so Jared Padalecki as Lucifer. And Jeffrey, oh, not Jeffrey D. Morgan, and Matt Cohen yeah. as, as John. So it's Sam and John. Yeah. In the get along In the get along <laughs> Oh, fuck, okay. Um, I love in this, in this instance, Dean's the only one who doesn't, like, of the family, <laughs> Dean's the only one who doesn't have to get in the cage. <sighs> also, Dean's the only one that didn't say not, like, didn't say yes. That's a, sorry, a hilarious fucking mental image. Also, while we're very briefly talking about Sam and shirts, I cannot believe this is the segue that I'm using, but it is. There is a moment when they're back in the motel and they've called Cass, or Dean's called Cass, which, wild, the first thing he does when he wakes up is call Cass. And I'm Naturally. like, that, I can't believe that that was the first thing on your mind. But anyway. I mean, it's always the first thing on his mind. I don't know why you're point. surprised. <laughs> but Sam is changes oh, his shirt, obviously, because mm-hmm. the ones they were wearing got fully shot. Which we haven't even mentioned, but anyway. We'll get there. We are currently sitting at two hours in our recording. Amazing. I can't (laughs) wait to edit this. Jesus. Anyway, so Sam changes into quite a dark shirt, which is Mm. quite smart, really, because it would hide blood better. It's a bit late now. Yeah, a bit late now. But the buttons are quite bright, and the way that they're arranged, he fully has, like, a Jesus cross on his Mm. chest. Like, straight up. It is very apparent. Or at least it was to me. And I thought that was super duper interesting based on where they've just been. And the fact that at the end of this episode, Sam is literally the only character who is still being like, we can find another way. Like, he still has faith in their trio. Like, in their goal. And both Dean and Cass are like, I... Like this was, this was the last, like Dean even says in this episode, he's like, you know, prayer is the last hope of a desperate man. And like prayer has gone out the window. So. Cause Chuck doesn't give a shit. Cause Chuck don't give no shits. And also like, you know, as Joshua said, like now Dean's been faced with this revelation that it appears to him that Sam just didn't give a shit about like all of the effort that he was putting in when they were kids and, you know, doesn't think of family the same way as him and doesn't put importance on their relationship the way that Dean does. And all that depressing shit that goes along with it. And all that depressing shit that goes along with it. And so, like, Dean and Cass are both fully just done. They're about to find faith in each other. Well, they really, the only faith that they have left is in each other because neither of them have any fucking faith in Sam. 
fucking roasted. Don't. Like, that's the half the plot of this episode is Dean feeling like he's lost faith in Sam. They even fucking put it in the text. And Cass hasn't had any faith in Sam since day dot. Even in the point of, like, relatively recently. I don't understand why he doesn't trust the blood fruit. <laughs> Literally, like, even in I Believe the Children Are Our Future, Sam makes the whole thing about, like, if we tell him, you know, the truth, maybe he'll make the right choice. And Cass is like, well, you fucking didn't. So, wanna try that again, Sam? Tried that before, don't wanna try it again. Exactly. And so, like, literally, the only, like, you could say Bobby. You could say Dean has faith in Bobby. Although, honestly, seeing as we just had Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, Bobby is obviously also coercible and will lie to his face. So far, the only person who hasn't done this is Cass. And that's because Cass just doesn't care enough to lie to him. (laughs) Yeah, Cass will just tell him the blunt fucking truth. You know, you're dead. Condolences. Congrats, don't have time to soak in that. Let's move on. Yeah, but I also just want to, like, take a sec to feel bad for Cass because this is devastating for him. The whole episode is devastating for Sam and Dean for various reasons, but for Cass, the desolation on his face at the end of this episode when he's just fucking standing there, just sort of staring into the middle distance, being like, I don't know, like, maybe Joshua was lying, like, just trying to grasp at any fucking straw he can. And Sam's like, ah, nah, mate, I don't think he was. (laughs) There wasn't a lot of grey area in what they got told. He was pretty clear. Like, God said, back off. (laughs) You know, I mentioned earlier that Dean is, like, a little bit cast-coded. But then we have a moment of Cass literally looking to the sky and calling God a son of a bitch. Which is Dean's catchphrase. And I do think it's interesting that Cass is turning around and calling God a son of a bitch. And saying, you know, I believe in... And then, again, we have that lack of vocalisation. Like, he can't even vocalise what this means. Like, the magnitude of the way that this shifts. Not only his thoughts about the future and his, like, ties to heaven and stuff, but just about the likelihood of them getting through this at all. This was Cass's, like, whole fucking thing from the opener of this season. So he spent the last 15 episodes, which translates to, like, what, four-ish months, mm. if you're going an episode a week, dead set that this is the way to do it. And busting his ass. This is know. like Dean having faith that what John's doing is because he cares about his children. It's the equivalent. Mm. And so it's interesting, I think, that Cass and Dean are having very parallel experiences here. Mm. And really, just so many deadbeat fathers. So many. Like, just so many. Like, I, every single character in this show has daddy, daddy issues. issues. It's wild. Like, I'm currently trying to think of a character that doesn't have daddy issues, and I can tell you I'm struggling. Wait, Sarah from Providence. (laughs) (laughs) But I am so serious in saying that's the only character I can think of. Can you think of any character that appears in more than one episode, like two episodes is fine, that doesn't have daddy issues? Okay, hear me out. Mm -hmm. Ed and Harry film ghost faces out of one of their parents' garages. That implies at least an okay relationship with the parent. It may be no daddy issues, but we don't get confirmation of no daddy issues. Yeah, it's... Which means that at any point, they could whip out daddy issues. It's just, like, waiting in the wings. It's like Meg. Like, Meg, I didn't think had daddy issues, and then it was like... Daddy issues. Uh, I don't think Rowena has daddy issues. Icon. Does Charlie have daddy issues? Well, I was about to say I don't... Okay, for Charlie and Eileen, it depends on how you view it. And I don't want to get into that because spoiler territory. Okay, yeah, fair enough. I'm just saying names. Does Charlie have daddy issues? I don't know how to answer that, but I think the short answer is yes. Does Azazel? I have to assume so, just based on his general character. <laughs> also, technically, like, Does Azazel's... John Winchester have daddy issues? Yeah. Actually, yeah. Like, no spoilers, but yeah. Mary absolutely yeah. did. <laughs> yeah. 
Anywho, moving right along from that. The other moment I think that is worth mentioning about Dean and Cass having kind of parallel experiences at the moment is when Cass returns the Samulet to Dean and he says, I don't need this anymore. It's worthless. And then Dean puts it in the fucking bin. Big yikes moment. Because he doesn't need it anymore because it's worthless. You know, this thing that Sam gifted him and he treasured above almost all of his other Even though he had no evidence that it was actually worth anything at all, it was worth something to him. It was sentimental. Yes. Mm -hmm. And even in that, like, it was supposed to be a gift for John. And so the fact that it became a gift for Dean because it was supposed to go Mm -hmm. to his dad and it did, you know, like it went to Dean. None of that matters anymore. Because Dean feels like Sam doesn't give a shit. And like, again, like he's wrong. Sam cares. It's just that they have a very weird relationship. And Sam doesn't think of him as his father, which he is. Yeah, like Sam's like, we're bros. And Dean's like, I'm your dad. And they're just like, there are wires crossed. So Dean throws away the Samulet. And that's obviously very momentous in and of itself. I think that it is particularly harsh because it comes off the back of Sam saying, you and me, like, we'll figure it out. We'll find a way. And Dean does not respond. He just very dramatically and pointedly drops the necklace in the bin. You know, and I think that it's very symbolic because not only is is he throwing out what was supposed to be their only, like, way to find God, which is, like, throwing out his last bit of faith in, you know, that whole idea Mm. of the Lord, but he's also throwing away his faith in Sam. And that connection, like, he's metaphorically saying, this is lost its value to me you know this has diminished this is tarnished and i do think it is particularly brutal that he does it in front of sam Mm -hmm. like it would be one thing if we just never saw him wear it after Cass gave it back or if it got like put somewhere else like if it got put somewhere in the impala or like just in a pocket Mm -hmm. or like we see it on the occasion but like he fully is like this means nothing to me anymore and it's it's that whole thing of, like, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. Like, this is the most devastating thing he could have done. Short of, like, fling it into the ocean. Drama ho. He's really taking lessons from Cass. I was going to say the Cass coding. They're so dramatic. I love that for them. Oh, I do want to talk about the opening scene, which we barely touched on. Excellent. I they also s- want to touch on They it. straight up die. And immediately. Immediately. They kill Sam first. And then they say, the guys that killed them say a line along the lines of, do you really want Dean Winchester pissed off and hunting you down? Yeah. Essentially. One yeah. of them is like, we only need to kill Sam. The other's like, no, he's like, Dean's seen our faces and we've just murdered his younger brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The line is, do you want to spend the rest of your life knowing Dean Winchester's on your ass? Because I don't. Yeah. Again, <laughs> I, wild way to phrase it. Wild way to phrase it. <laughs> Too many mentions of Dean being in peace and on people's asses. Then it's just giving me, okay, so this is a very niche reference. That's it's fine. a leverage reference. It's giving me two life crew job, chaos going, Sophie was the one we were always scared of. Yeah. Those are the vibes that I'm getting right now. I'm getting like, oh no. I think what's interesting here is, and we get this kind of throughout the series, where it's like, they've made quite a name for themselves. These boys are not under the radar. The hunting community is very aware of who Sam and Dean are. And so... It's really unfair that they don't know anything about the hunting community. I mean, I guess if they had had a better father, maybe they might know something about the hunting community, but I'm sure he was just trying his best. So, yes, you make a you make a very valid point. But, like, at a certain point, we actually get, in a later season, someone, like, is like, oh, like, Winchester. 
And Dean is like, oh yeah, like you probably heard of our dad. And he's like, your dad? What are you talking about? Like you guys have done more than John did in the last year than he did in his whole fucking life. Like they end up being like micro celebrities and it's Mm. very entertaining for me personally. And it brings Dean so much joy. It's lovely. But they have reputations now. And it's not just like through the hunting community. It's like through all of the bits and pieces for the last four and a half seasons. You've got demons talking about the Winchester brothers. You've got angels talking about the Winchester brothers. You've got people like Gordon who were talking shit about Sam. You've got Ed and Harry who are making fucking public YouTube videos mentioning the Winchesters. And you've got all of these things that are kind of separately leeching different bits of information into the overall world view of who are Sam and Dean. And And then, of course, you've got the email blasts. Yeah, obviously, Hell's Mm, email blast. Yes, how could I forget? I'm Mm. so sorry. (laughs) That's okay. That's why I'm here, to really pick up the slack. (laughs) Disservice to demon number seven who runs the server. But, yeah, like, it's, it's very interesting. And Dean, obviously, is aware of these guys. Their names are Roy and Walt. I don't remember if they come back. No, I, I don't remember them ever being mentioned before I'm, now. I'm curious as to why they use two random hunters and not hunters that we'd heard of before. I assume like, because... Most of the hunters are already dead. Yeah. Like, and the thing is that outside of, like, Gordon and the guy who was helping him, whose name I forget, Creedy maybe? Mm. They're sort of off the board. And the only other hunters that we've interacted are either on the boy's side or are dead, or both. So there's the slim pickings. And actually, now that I think about it, I'm pretty sure we do get at least Roy or Walt back at some point, because I have a feeling that there's an interaction where Dean's like, well, last time we saw you. You (laughs) So yeah, like I'm pretty sure we get that at some point, but I can't remember exactly when. Speaking of which, Dean is being such a little shit. And it's very much that whole thing where like he makes jokes when he's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Like he's trying to take charge of the situation by being little cheeky bugger and i do love that for him like the moment where he's like mourning (laughs) like he's like looking at sam held at gunpoint seeing these guys with full like beanies cut into masks fully ready to shoot him he really just is like i'm not gonna take anything serious in my life if it kills me literally literally he's like if i'm gonna die i'm gonna die being a little shit what gets me though is once more these hunters completely discount the fact that Sam is not the one who started the apocalypse. Ruby did it all. Come on, stop discrediting the hard work that a woman's putting in. Like, they just keep on ignoring her contributions to history. And Lilith, too, to be honest. And Lilith, too. Like, they're like, "Mm, you started the apocalypse. No. No, 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 no. Start giving these women the respect they deserve. We also get the line from Dean where he's like, come on, shoot me. But I'm like, I'll warn you, like, when I come back, I'm gonna be pissed. And I love that he's like, when I come back. Like, he's so confident. Also, he's 100% proven right in that. Oh, yeah. Immediately. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to know, actually, what the time skip was. Like, how long they were dead in, like, Earth time. Yeah, because I'm because assuming a bit like hell. Heaven doesn't operate on the same time scale as Earth. Yeah, well, it's like, not on the same plane. Yeah, like, it, I'm assuming... Maybe not exactly like hell. Like, I'm, I'm thinking maybe a different sort of scale of time passage. But, like, assuming that the passage of time in hell is different, you'd assume the passage of time in heaven is also different. Like, it doesn't make sense for one to be, like, standard Earth time and the other one to be wildly not standard Earth time. Well, and, like, judging from the weird night sky thing that I mentioned before, like, honestly, like, heaven could be in a different fucking universe. Like, it's just, you know, it's, it's so wildly different to, to Earth. It's unclear 
as to like I don't think we ever get explicitly like we do for hell like in text dialogue the difference between earth and heaven time but I do assume it's there and like obviously in this episode we don't see it but I assume it's got to be somewhere between a couple hours to a couple days like I can't imagine that they would be there any longer than that especially considering like they come back to their bodies and they're not covered in flies or anything like they're not the blood's dry but that's kind of it it's just wild yeah like the entire episode is wild like it it really is a concept on the TV show Supernatural, isn't it? Mm. So we also, in that opening sequence, I just want to very quickly mention, Dean goes to reach for the gun under his pillow, like, because he sleeps mm. with a gun under his pillow, like a totally healthy, normal totally person normal would. This is actually a callback to season one, I'm pretty sure. Dean is saying mm. to Sam, what do you mean? Like, I'm totally fine. And Sam's like, yeah, with a knife under your fucking pillow? And Dean's like, I like to be prepared. That's the essence of the Which, scene. again, like, is not unreasonable considering what they do for a living. No, exactly. And the other thing I wanted to note is that twice in this episode, so right before, like, Dean wakes up initially and also when they wake up at the end, we get a panning shot, like an establishing shot, of all of the beer cans surrounding specifically Dean's side of the room, like, specifically around his bedside table and the bedhead. Almost like he uses alcohol to cope. Yeah. So this is a pretty good indicator that like Dean is not in a good way and this is something that like we'll often see usually it's beer bottles it, we don't get cans so much just generally in Supernatural normally it's the bottles but seeing like a lot of empty bottles and stuff around Dean's like mm. wherever he is typically actually it is like a bedroom or like another area where he would normally feel like vulnerable it's a good indicator that like something is wrong here like with his mental state he's not I wonder what could be wrong with his mental state. I know. Look, look. I wonder if he's had any unusual stress lately. It's like Sam is like, you all right? And he's like, define all right. Which, honestly, valid. Sometimes this show makes choices. I think it does it more than sometimes. I think it does it at least once a week. (laughs) At least once a week. Yeah, minimum. Minimum. Okay. So it's just always making choices. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How How do you deal with this? You're looking at it. Manic eyes and a podcast. <laughs> and a friend who you unwillingly drag into the shenanigans. Shenanigans, yes. Shenanigans. <laughs> so coming back to Zacky Boy, full circle moment for mm. the pod. Yeah. The scene where he has corrupted Mary and like everything is green and they're doing that whole MILF thing, right? The Andrew Darb element of the The episode. bit the Darb wrote, yeah. <laughs> so... We have this moment where Mary basically just says Dean's worst fear out loud to him. And actually, I'm going to take a moment here to appreciate, like I mentioned before, like we often shit on Darb and like his characterization of Dean and stuff. I think that this episode, in terms of characterization, both Sam and Dean, fucking on point. Like this is, I would argue, some of the most poignant The most quintessential. Yes. It wraps up and ties in so many of the key aspects of who they are fundamentally as characters, what their values are, what their perspectives are, what their drives are, what is at the core of their characters and what they strive for. Abandonment issues. Yeah, like Dean striving for family, Sam striving for autonomy, like the discrepancies that occur when you start trying to combine those two things and those ideals. Like, it's a fucking, like... Obviously, we haven't gone to your rating yet, but for, like, me, this is such a masterpiece of a fucking episode, particularly for character stuff. But also, you have these beautiful shots of, like, the fireworks. So, like, I just I just want to pop it out there. But we have Mary basically 
taking Dean's like most vulnerable points and just like rubbing them in his fucking face, which she is fully doing under the context of Zachariah controlling her. So it's actually Zachariah being like, these are your squishiest, most vulnerable points, and I'm going to jab him with a stick real quick. I love that for him. I love it for him too. Don't love it for Dean. But she says, I never loved you. You were my burden. I was shackled to you. Look what it got me. Obviously, this is a bald-faced lie, but it does fuck Dean up a bit. I um, mean, to be fair, a lot of things fuck Dean up a bit. Yeah, just in this episode. I also want to make a note that Mary describing her own death is gross. It's icky. It's then recapitalizing on the fact that a woman died for man pain. Mm, mm-hmm. It's like adding extra to man be, pain to the man pain. To be fair. More economical. They only burned her once. Yeah. But they're more really, man pain per death. Yeah, they're really milking that Even man better pain. value. It's, <laughs> it's free man pain. It's just the well of man pain that never ends. You know, whenever they need something to be upsetting, they're like, hey, remember how your mother died on the ceiling? And then they just use that. But she then goes on to say, one silver lining, at least I was away from you. Everybody leaves you, Dean. You noticed? Mommy, Daddy, even Sam. Ever ask yourself why? Maybe it's not them. Maybe it's you. And that, again, is going to be such a sticking point for him all the way through the series. Like, we're going to get to season 15, and that is going to be the crux of a critical, like, plot and character point. It's wild. And it's so explicitly stated here. Isn't it so funny how the only character who hasn't yet abandoned Dean is Cass? So funny you say that. (laughs) <laughs> can't wait for so Cass funny you say that <laughs> but I do think that this quite nicely we talked about in um, I Believe the Children Are Our Future the the Blancon of having this this plot point of like the Antichrist and like how that kind of like concept crops up again later on I think this is also really interesting that they're capitalising on this idea of Dean and his abandonment issues and that ends up being quite significant in the later seasons of Darb era like I just think that that is um Certainly a fascinating thing that we can, like, look at in the long term. But I just wanted to point it out because we really hadn't touched on it at all at that part with Mary. And, like, this is where I had in all caps. That's the thing he's sensitive about. So I felt like we couldn't very well get to the end of the episode without mentioning it. He's sensitive about a lot of things. He is so sensitive. He is so emotional. And he just likes to act like he's not. Arlo agrees. So, two and a half hours later, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. So, Jamie, how would you rate Season 5, Episode 16, Dark Side of the Moon, out of 5? I think I'm going to give it 4 out of 5. I think if I gave it any lower, you may murder me. (laughs) Fair. But I don't think it deserves any higher. Like, I just... It's an interesting concept. Mm -hmm. I think it's a very interesting character study. I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of character study, so it feels dis ingenuine to give it like the highest rating I've ever given an episode because the only other episode that I've ever given four and a half stars was Bad Day at Black Rock mm-hmm. and I was vibing that day. This is a very Bethany episode. It's a very Bethany episode. I will say though I did enjoy it no- more than I normally like Bethany's sort of episodes. Yeah this one is one of those ones where I don't think I've ever seen anyone not like it. You know why I think I liked it? Because there was so much Zacky boy. I think, honestly, the secret sauce that made me like this episode more than I normally like a Bethany sort of episode, it was Zacky Boy. He just adds such a fun flair. Like, he is the comedic relief of this episode that you absolutely need because everything else is so aggressive. You love to hate him. Yeah. 
It's very fun. He's, he's a fun common enemy for literally everyone involved, including yeah. the audience. <laughs> like, and even other angels. Like, he's just a slimy little bastard. Yeah. And we love that for him. No, okay. I think a four out of five is totally respectable. I understand your reasoning. For me, this is top tier for me. Yeah. And, like, I understand why it's not for you. But, yeah, this episode is a, a fan favorite. Like I said, I don't think I've ever seen anyone dislike it. Mm-hmm. I'd be very interested to hear if anyone does dislike it. Because I also think it's yeah. very well produced. The next episode is called 99 Problems. Do you have any thoughts, feelings, hopes, dreams, predictions, or fears? Here's the thing. If we hadn't already had a sort of succubus episode, I would think succubus. Because, mm-hmm. you know, like, 99 problems, but a bitch one. So I'm thinking, like, maybe... It's just a misogyny reference. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a misogyny reference. And they're referencing the fact that a girl's got to get between, like, Sam and Dean. Mm-hmm. So if we already hadn't had the Siren episode in season four... But even then, they didn't put a girl between Sam <laughs> They didn't. <laughs> That's what I would think. But then again, they just have shit tons of problems. Mm. Like, they have more than 99 problems. Yeah, it's literally like, okay, but what isn't a problem right now? Like, name one thing that isn't a problem. You'd be pretty hard-pressed. Do you have any other thoughts on that? Or is it just kind of the only thing that's coming to mind? That's the only thing that's coming to mind. And I'm like, I'm just thinking that it's mm-hmm. the song reference. Yeah, no, that's fair. Do you think that Cass will be in next week's episode? No. Okay. He's off depression moping. That's valid. God's not real. He's off depression moping. <laughs> okay. God's not real. <laughs> I love that it's, he's not real. <laughs> Which is 100% not the takeaway. <laughs> he's very real. He just doesn't give a shit. Mm. Okay. That brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you so very much for listening. Hopefully you had just as much fun listening as we have had recording. If you wanted to get in touch with us and interact with more than just us blabbing on your ears for an hour, or in this case, fucking nearly three hours a week, you can always find us on any of our social medias, all of the links which are in the description below, as is a link to our survey, which is still going. If you haven't already filled it out, we would super duper appreciate it if you would give it a look. It doesn't take very long and it's just a couple of questions about you and your experience with Supernatural, but also about your experience listening to us. So if you have any feedback that you'd like to give us, that is the best place for you to put that before we go into the Gamble era. If you did want to get in touch with us, some topics for conversation could include... Oh, just a list of Dean and Sam's 99 problems. Oh my god, yeah. What are the... See if you can limit it to 99, honestly. I'd be impressed. Rank just the top 99 problems they have. <laughs> We're not asking much. No. <laughs> I would also love to hear your opinions on Zachariah. I feel like we've asked this before, mm. but like quite genuinely, I love him. Jamie clearly loves him. And like I said, I feel like he's fundamentally underappreciated in fandom. So if you have any hot takes or thoughts on Zachariah, I'd love to hear it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, thank you so, so much for listening. And hopefully we have you back next week for 99 Problems. Bye. Bye. Fucking good luck editing that shit. <laughs>